Good day, everyone. Welcome back to the Atlanta Podcast, a.k.a. the ATL Podcast. I am your host, Mappy Davis. Today's episode is King Williams. We will get to him in a moment. First, want to say it's a beautiful Friday here. I am recording this in my new home away from home, the Pittsburgh Yards, and uh, digging it over here a few minutes from the house, looking right out on the uh, the West Side Beltline, which, speaking of which, uh, comes up on uh, today's chat. We talk, this was a long one, we got into it about uh, a lot of fun things, and as you know, I don't like to talk about it too much in the intro, but I do want to say that I recorded this uh, right before the election, the November election, even before the the runoffs. So uh, there's some there's some political talk here and some voting talk, and I do want to go ahead and spoil one thing in that uh, this inspired me to vote. This conversation, uh, I was very much in an apathetic place, and this conversation actually got me to vote in the November election and then again in the runoffs. So thank you, King Williams, for that. Uh, enjoy this episode with King. I don't want to say anything else. I just want to get into it because we had a nice, fun chat, and uh, away we go. So you walked in here, King. Is King your given name, sir? No, it is actually a nickname, and it just kind of stuck because I'm quite bossy. I know this conversation is going to seem really fun, but I am actually like a quite bossy person. Okay. So the first thing you said to me is we have to talk about Chipotle on Ponce. Yes, it is. First of all, hi, people. I'm King Williams. I'm the guest here, yada, yada, yada. I love y'all. All right, Chipotle on Ponce is fucking chaotic. And like I, I really forgot how chaotic it was yesterday night after I tried to go get some Chipotle. Okay. I call it now chaos, like not just Chipotle, just chaos. Like if anyone's been there, it's that Chipotle on Ponce across from Mur- the new Murder Kroger and like the Beltline and all the little bars and like MJQ, RIP, all of those places over there. They're all about to be RIP, which we will certainly talk about. Yes. So, I don't even call it Murder Kroger anymore. How can you call that Murder Kroger? It's, I, yeah, I don't call it Beltline Kroger because I feel like it, it's not the spirit. You know, I don't th- think so either, but I don't think we can go with. Or Ponce Kroger, I guess, would be the thing now. Maybe. Yeah, we have to talk about this because you know they're closing Disco too. I, America and Atlanta, we're losing our Krogers. Like I know Kroger is about to get merged in a giant corporate merge. We're probably going to lose a lot more. But I like Kroger as a grocery store because there is not a single demographic that there is a Kroger for. You cannot name a single place in Atlanta that there's not a Kroger at. Like you want an upscale Kroger, you want Disco Kroger, you want Murder Kroger, you want Buckhead Kroger, you want Kroger that's a little sketchy, you want a Kroger that may have been 20 years past its prime, you want that little Kroger in downtown Decatur that for some reason only has eight items that everyone goes to. I think that one's going to. too. I think that, that one's going too. Like there's always a Kroger. They for call people. that one Mini Kroger. Yes, I like. I feel like we need justice for Kroger because <laughs> hashtag justice for Kroger. Right, everyone kind of leaves Kroger, but Kroger was always there for you. Like there was always a Kroger there for you. I feel like you and I are going to have very similar uh, sensibilities, even though I think I'm considerably older than you. I don't care. Like, no, no. I think people. this is. I think this is a good. Okay. But that's why this is a good conversation to have because <laughs> okay. I'm 50 year old white dude. Okay. Don't don't self flow. Don't do that. I, I'm just telling okay. you what I am. Okay. I'm 50 year old white person. Okay. Should I say a 50 year old short person? I don't. No, you got a Tinder profile. Don't like sell people. Oh, you have a no. He does not have a Tinder profile. I see his wedding ring, but um, so that doesn't stop some guys. It stops me. Listen, no one has the better single life than a married man. <laughs> like no one does. Listen, I'm out here trying to prosper, and like there's a married guy with four women in my zip code right now. That man is living. Like I promise you, dude. That 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 bit by Chris Rock when he when he said when he came out and talked about how he lost his wife because he cheated. And so he's, he said, some of y'all are like, dude, you're fucking horrible. I can't believe you cheated. And every guy in here right now is going, three? 
That's it, just three? God damn, nigga. I work at UPS. I got more hoes than that. Three? You must have really loved your wife. You are romantic. I have never I've seen some people like yo you putting up numbers like this is your job like I don't know how you're gonna get paid to do this but you should honestly get compensated like I know we're at UPS together you're making $30 an hour you, that is not your job your job is with these women right. you need to get paid for this I don't know how like I'm not a financial guru do not ask me for advice but that man needs to get paid for what he does because that is a real job yeah except that it seems like it's guaranteed to blow up. Once upon a time... Oh, it's going to fail. Once upon a time, she had to be an extra level of, oh, I'm going to go to your house, right? Now it's just a DM. I'm yeah. fucking your husband. That's it. It's all over. You know what I mean? Now it's like she can get mad, get drunk, whatever. By the way, this goes both ways, right? To fuck up people's lives. But I'm saying it's a DM away, not I got to get in my car. Yeah. I got to drive to the house. I got to look at the wife and kids in the face. Yeah, like that. That the internet has changed some things up on that one. And I don't, listen. I know men. I am a member of men. I don't believe in cheating, but I know plenty of friends that I've had to get their stuff because they have been cheating, and their woman has decided to throw it out a car, or throw it out the apartment, or to set it on fire. Um, one of my friends, I'm not gonna say that one because that's just like I'm, if I say it, the person who listens is gonna know who they are. All right, so let's I'm, go back to Ponce. Yeah, so that's. Well, to the point, back at uh, good old-fashioned chaotic Ponce and that kind of like Chipotle, no matter what time I go, there's always some type of chaos in the parking lot. There's never enough people. There's never enough food. There's somebody always arguing with each other. Not like the workers arguing with the people. That happens. But I mean like just people in the line arguing with each other. What time is it? Whatever time it is now, it's about to open. It's the only Chipotle I've ever been to and probably the only Chipotle in America where there is somebody doing something generally chaotic from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. when they close. It's honestly a treasure, and I'm sad to see it go. Well, let's look at even even the the way you go to that store. It's like a hard right into a weird parking lot. Right. Like when you when you visit America, which I'm guessing you've been out a little bit. I've seen America before. Okay. When you like that's if I land if I get off a plane and I'm and I'm headed somewhere, right, to an event, to a race, whatever, it's like, okay, I want to eat and I want to eat good. Like, is there a Chipotle? And they're like sp- sprawled out in these nice mall parking lots and yeah. everything. Like this one is just like er, hard right into an uphill fucked up parking lot. It, but the best part about that parking lot is there is a club inside of that parking lot next to it, which is great, which is like MJQ, which is like right there next to that Chipotle. And it's like. But wait a minute. You're telling me they're destroying even the Chipotle? Why wouldn't they keep that? Who knows, man? Development in Atlanta. Well, so the developer in question is like, just they're going to probably put a very large building down there, uh, like a very large residential apartment. So whoever owns that Chipotle is like, I'll take the check. I've owned yeah. this property for 10 years. Because I look at that as a new building. I'm pretty sure that Chipotle will come back into the new building. Right. But like, because, I mean, Chipotle can pay the rent, but everything else is kind of gone on right. that corner. So I'm, I am old enough, and now it's unfortunate these stereotypes happen, but I am someone that is always sad when I pass what used to be the masquerade. Like, every uh, time I drive by, I'm sad. Yeah, that was tough. And then they, like, destroy part of the building just being, like, poor developers. Not poor in terms of money, but just, like, poor in terms of, like, planning it out. Like, I know. And now it's the underground, and I know it's a little different. I mean. But it's not, though. Like, it's not close to the same. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just went to an event in underground, and... uh it, as someone who pays attention to this stuff, which I know you do, they've always wanted to bring underground back, and it's not happening. I, I, 
yes, it's true. I think there is one thing, and it's actually not even my idea, so I'm not going to claim it as original. Lisa Bordas, when she was running for mayor, this was ooh, 2009. I remember being a, like a young, you know, she was talking to people in, in school and stuff like that. And I remember her idea was you should let Georgia State and zone that entire area for young people. She was like, underground's never going to work because there's not residential like people down there, and there's not young people because Georgia State's right there. And then there's also no one there to kind of keep it going in the after hours. And I was like, oh, you know what? That kind of makes sense. And so now we'll probably get some people coming soon. But I think to your point, underground's going to suffer just because it's really hard to get to. And like, there's nothing else to do around it. Like the development side of my brain is like, oh yeah, we should do this and that and that. So, but the guy I met, he's nice. Um, he's trying. I think he's just got an uphill battle. Who's so. the Who's the guy you met? Shanil Sh- Shanil Leilani. I, I'm. I know I got his name wrong. I am sorry about that. I have it written down in my phone. I definitely said it wrong. It's okay. Yes, you're allowed to say things wrong. So I read that you uh, you worked with Spike as a young man. Yes. So I worked with Spike as an intern. I actually got that through Twitter. Let's talk about it. So I got. Um, so if you all don't know Spike Lee, the guy who he's a director, um, a New York socialite and a general angry Knicks fan. So one of those three things is how most people interface with him now as like in 2022. But uh, for a long time, he was like for most people like myself, um, a lot of young black filmmakers, they've always looked up to Spike for different reasons. Right. Um, Before say what you will before, before there was a Tyler Perry, there was a Spike Lee. Right. And even before John Singleton, there was a Spike Lee. And so he's always been really good about nurturing filmmakers, developers, and creators, and like putting them through. Um, the thirty-second version of this is: I used Twitter to get a an internship with Spike Lee, and that internship turned into a assistantship with him. So, what projects was he working on at the time you worked with him? Uh, he actually wasn't working on anything. He was prepping for a movie that would eventually become Red Hook Summer. His assistant at the time, Jason. Um, Which is like the one thing I haven't seen now that I think about it. You should not. I'm saying this is it bad? Work. Yeah, I worked. So in it's a movie. somewhat sequel to do the right thing, correct? No, it almost is like like we we do this now where it's like you take one character out of a movie, then you kind of put them in like like a universal like right. A, it's like I would say like this like in the do the right thing universe. It's not like a sequel though. Okay. So one of the characters kind of makes a cameo, but it's really not like. Yeah. Okay, that's unfortunate. Like all those like Halloween, then like the spinoff or whatever, da, 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 like that. Right, the intellectual property or the IP. It's basically just that. Which like, is the machine that we have now. So yeah. what did he, so what did, what was your tweet to him? Or uh, D, t- Twitter DM or whatever? Well, it wasn't to him actually. So uh, one of my best friends in the world, uh, a woman named Saba Long, um, she, she actually has a podcast now. I'm not going to shout it out because I'm just going to be a hater. But um, no, I'm just playing. It's everybody called, has a podcast. It's okay. Everybody does, but no, it's called Where the Party. It's a political podcast. But I say this because um, she actually was at Georgia State with me. She actually dropped out of Georgia State to start running political campaigns and working in the political field. So she saw this. She knew I was always working on um, this documentary I did called The Atlanta Way on gentrification. And she was like, "Oh, I wasn't even on Twitter yet." She was like, "Oh, you should join Twitter." I was like, "Why would I join Twitter?" She was like, "Well, because Spike Lee is on there. You can talk to him." I was like. I don't, in my brain, I didn't understand what that meant. Like, I'm going to talk to Spike Lee through the internet. Like, this, it was just like, what is, what are you talking about? So she shows me the tweet. Spike tweets out, hey, if you're looking for internships, don't talk to me. Reach out to my man, Jason. He puts Jason's real email address. Poor Jason gets inundated with emails from different people. And Saba comes up with this idea. She's like, hey, I'm going to help build a campaign for you to be Spike Lee's intern. So what she does is for the next eight or so weeks, she gets people to tweet 
email his office, call um, his office, email the guy Jason, and all on behalf of me or why, why I should be Spike's intern. I never actually talked to him. So it was other people, and we got a couple hundred people to do it, and for a few weeks it kept going and going. So at one point, it started in March, and then like late April, it was that um, Jason, the, the assistant, was saying, he called me directly, and I was like, I don't know how he got my number. And I looked, and I was like, I knew a 718 number because I have family in New York. I was like, oh, this is a New York number. This has got to be somebody with him. So he calls me. He's like, listen, I know what you're doing. Please don't do that again. Do what again? Well, all the people calling and emailing me. Oh, emailing got him it. And emailing the office. They like a jam- campaign, if you will. Yeah, and they started jamming his phone lines. And so he couldn't get outgoing calls at Spike's office. And so at a certain point, he was like, and then we talked for like 20 minutes. And in my mind, like, oh, my God, he's going to think I'm like a stalker. He's going to think I'm like... I don't want to go to jail, but in my mind, I was like, wait a minute, I'm in Atlanta, they're in New York, I don't know how jail works like that, but I'm like, right. whatever. So he's talking to me, he's like, cool, man, I see what you're doing, just don't tell people to stop. So I do that, I tell everybody to stop, they stop. I get a random call in June, I know this because my birthday's in June, it's June 3rd, ladies, if you would like to buy me a gift, I would love one. Um, I'm an XL in men, if you would like to buy me a nice sweatshirt, I love them. Um, so my birthday's in June, and I get a call from that same New York number, and I'm like, okay, it was weird. I was like, what's going on? He's like, hey, can you come down to New York? Spike's working on a project. Would you want to come down and, and be an intern? And I was like, cool. He's like, yeah, can you come tomorrow? It's Thursday. And tomorrow being Friday, I was like, I live in Atlanta. I cannot get there. And I work at FedEx at the time, which is like, there's no money involved. It's just FedEx. And I was like, no, can you wait a week? He's like, I'm serious. I will give you a week, but you need to be here next Friday. And I was like, okay, cool. I tell my boss, if it's like, hey, I don't work here anymore. Right. And he was like, chill out. He knew, he knew I wanted to do it for a long time, like work and film and stuff. He was like, I'm going to, he kept me on for that month of June. So I would have like a couple checks rolling at FedEx on the payroll, which is something you probably shouldn't do. And I'm not going to say his name, but he did a good, a solid for me. Um, and then my aunt who didn't live with me, but she lived in Ohio. She was like, um, I'm going to, pay for your ticket to get up there and i had another um auntie in new york who was like and she's like your cousin keisha lives here you can you know stay at her place in the bronx and so within a week i kind of packed up everything i had in two duffel bags i moved to new york and then the rest is like history when you say you moved did you did you think well i'm going up there and i'm never coming back or do you think let's see how this goes with spike uh it was like i knew it was only going to it kept getting extended. So I knew like the internship was only going to be 10 weeks. It'll be, it was going to be from middle June through like middle August. So day one, you meet Spike or you're just running around getting coffee for whoever. I saw Spike like day one, but like it was more like he'd act like I wasn't there, but there was also other interns when I came. So, right. So I didn't know there'd be other interns and there, he's prepping for a movie. So there's like all types of people just coming through. So like, I see him, but he kind of doesn't notice me just because there's a lot of people. And unlike a lot of filmmakers, now this is the thing to do but even then this is 2011 um most filmmakers don't do most of their production work and their prep work at an office that they own so he owns two buildings in brooklyn and one of the buildings right they rent it out all under the name of the production right and so he's had this building since like the 80s so he he just has a building and like all the productions like you know all the office staff everybody's doing prep and hair and makeup and wardrobe all of that in one building and it saves you a lot of money so I was just like a fly on the wall for like the first week or so. And it wasn't really to like week two. And then he looked at me and he saw me. I was picking up trash or whatever. <laughs> and um, he was just like, you're the guy from Atlanta. I was like, yeah. He was like, don't do that shit again. And then he didn't talk to me for the rest of the Don't summer do what? About the, the when I had the people calling into the office. Oh. He remembered that. He just, then he literally said nothing else to me for the entire summer. Really? Yeah, that was it. But I was okay with that. But he would see me. He would just look at me like with this like death stare every time I, he would look at me. 
it was like kind of like it wasn't weird but it was definitely like something that would be in a movie where you get one line from your boss and then he says nothing else to you and so i'm like working hard like every other intern every other person work on the set the end of the year's coming up they asked me to stay for like an extra two weeks i'm like okay that's fine he's like hey do you want to stay and get paid now we're doing this uh 9 tribute for state farm but you need to kind of like we need to stay but we got to do a quick turnaround and so in 2011 even still like obviously it's august and the person who was supposed to do the video before just didn't do the thing so they called spike up and they're like can you get this done within a week so i got to see how an actual commercial like from start from idea from a phone call to finish within one week and then like the following it started like that monday that following monday was already playing on national ads and stuff like that and so they were like okay can you stay and just kind of clean up the office and stuff like that and so they kept extending it and then it was labor day weekend so i'm like okay i'm cool i'm going home I'm already on the Greyhound bus. My aunt pays for me to get a ride back on the Greyhound bus. And I get that same number. Jason called me. He's like, hey, man, do you want to come back? Spike's working on the pilot. The pilot is um, about young Mike Tyson's life for HBO and it's starting this new guy named John Boyega. And um, I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, man, can you be here Monday? I'm like, well, okay, I'll be here Monday. So I come down. I stay in Atlanta for exactly 48 hours. I get back on the Greyhound <laughs> bus and come right back to New York with the same duffel bags that I had. My aunt buys me a hostel for two days and then i'm just kind of like there in new york now after two days i don't have a place to live at so then i'm just like oh i need to find a place to live and so like anybody else knows you're making i'm not making that much money at this point for that pilot it's it's going for eight weeks i'm gonna make 500 dollars a week in new york city which is like no money even in 2011 and that was also interesting because that was when the occupy stuff was happening so downtown like to go to spike's office especially if you're going to through lower manhattan there's just like people down there of all types and it's weird and it's like i would say it, it was like if reddit came to tr- its truest in real life form it was just like a very weird strange space like someone was fun someone was crazy someone's conspiracies so is he finally talking to you now no spike didn't actually say another word to me for real like real words until like october after the hbo pilot was over and then they were like hey do you want to stay some more and like and then he was like hey man I like you. He was like me and this other this other girl who was staying. He kept two of us. The interns like I need y'all to be assistants. Can you work for me? I was like sure. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm like going back to Atlanta. And so that's kind of. And then for the next four and a half years, I'm just like in New York. Um, and so it just gets extended. And I start working for other movies and working on other film and TV shows. And I still have a good relationship with the people at Forty Acres, which is his office and Spike and stuff like that. Like even when he won the Oscar, I was I emailed. I was like congratulations. He was like thank you and. Over time, it got like he was cool, but it was always like, I'm just going to watch you from a distance kind of thing. I mean, that's interesting that he wouldn't get over that. I could see being pissed in the moment, like, hey, you, you bogged down my assistant for a couple weeks, but like, why would you stay mad at that? I don't think he was mad. He was just like, Spike's just like, he can be his, his own little thing. And I, I know when Spike is actually mad because I've seen Spike yell at people before, but like, he was more just like, I'm just going to watch you. Like, that was it. Cause I what, what would you see him get mad about? Usually, like, little things. Like, Little things, I'm gonna say, little things with people he has a long term relationship with, which is like at the time Earl was one of his best friends. Uh, he still is his best friend. This guy named Earl. Um, he actually was the guy who helped bring some money to Spike's early movies, and so him and Earl would argue about. It's like if me and you were like lifelong friends, it would yeah, be yeah, like yeah. So I knew the difference between like when he's like actually arguing. He's not being like he's not demeaning yeah. workers. It's like. Right, arguing with a partner or a coworker. Like, right, right, right. And so a lot of the thing is, a lot of people who work for him are also people he's known before he was a filmmaker. So it's like you have to kind of separate. But people who didn't know, like people like myself, he never like he would never yell at us. He he would he would be like disappointed, or he'll do like the death stare thing, and he'll just look at you like you know you're supposed to. Do did this so? Thing. Did you did you before you got that gig? 
were you just casual fan of Spike, super fan of Spike? Like, where would you rate your fandom of Spike? I wouldn't say I was a fan at all. What I was was like somebody who saw him more as like somebody almost. I don't look up to anybody, but somebody like you almost like saw as like a reverential figure. So I wasn't necessarily like a. I saw all the movies at that point, um, but I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I want to talk to you about what happened that you did and get on the bus or do the right thing. It was never like that. Like there were people who worked there like that, and when you see them, they're kind of like they kind of get pushed to, to the side. Real right. Fast. Well, no, of course you have yeah. to you have to cool your fucking jets when you're there, but I think you can still appreciate someone and then go to work for him yeah like i i was more just like okay it's cool because i was a big spike fan so so yeah so if i i might have seen i might have seen do the right thing in the theater and if i didn't i rented it a lot i definitely remember watching it a whole lot right right and i'm 17 years old in 1989 and you know it was a thing yeah you mean it was a fucking thing so i'm a huge spike fan uh, and I've since, like at that point, I think I went back and, and rented She's Gotta Have It. And then um, What's Right After Do the Right Thing is Mo Better right after that. Yeah, it's like, like I def- definitely saw that in the theater. Like I would see everything that Spike put out basically. Well, yeah, he's aware of that too. Like the first seven or so Spike movies, I think everything from like She's Gotta Have It up until Crooklyn is like had to, that's the one. Crooklyn he- I definitely saw in the movie theater yeah. because I remember it being such a bizarre fucking experience. Crooklyn's a movie I think you have to enjoy on the second or third time. Yeah, because I definitely didn't like it the first time. Yeah, I didn't either. I was, ex- You know what? It was the title and what I knew about my family from Brooklyn. I, I was expecting something very different than like the movie that was presented. Right. Me too. I yeah. think we thought, right. And then even, and then Clockers, right? Loki Clockers should have been the Crooklyn title. And that, that, that the whole perception is just very different of that movie. Right. Uh, but no, all those I saw in the theater because it's like, well, Spike's got a movie. We're, we're going. Yeah. You know, me and my friends that were like cool movie heads. Like, like we saw, like we saw documentaries in the theater before documentaries were a thing. Like this, yeah. this the kind of like nerd I was for that stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Spike was up there. So you, you read like Spike, Mike, Slackers and Dykes, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, it was a it was such a great time to be like in your late teens and early twenties because all those guys like they were coming up right Quentin was coming up we saw we saw that I didn't see Reser- I didn't see Reservoir Dogs in the theater but we rented the fuck out like once the word got out it was like have you seen this and then all we did that summer was talk like Reservoir Dogs and Gregory and Glenn Ross like that's all we did we just quoted those movies like. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously those are still quotable movies, but like literally that's all that was. And so then like when Pulp Fiction came out, we were like, well, dude, we got to go see this. And then Pulp Fiction's so good. We saw it like opening night, two nights later. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That I kind of like was thinking about that recently about both the Spike and Quentin thing, which is like, I was thinking about for this generation, like Gen Z, there's really not like that kind of filmmaker push where you like auteurish things where you really want to see what they have to say. It's not even to say if you like it, but like they have a clear vision, a clear style. And it's interesting. And I was like, I don't really get that from the Netflix films. Like, none against it. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of talented filmmakers. But when I watch stuff like on Netflix or HBO Max, well, HBO's a little different. But, like, I don't see, the to your point, the 17-year-olds now clamoring of the current generation of filmmakers. And part of me is like, man, like, I don't know what's happened in the industry for that. Because 17-year-olds, there should be a new crop of filmmakers that they're really into. And now it's not. It's like always looking back at something or the content that they're presenting now. It's kind of just like the same thing, and it's kind of like it makes me sad. In a right. Lot of ways. Well, the the late eighties, the late eighties, early nineties. All those guys grew up watching the seventies movies, right? And so they were all fans of that. And now, 
I think we're just sort of skipping a generation where everybody's making TikTok and whatever else. Those people aren't yeah. going to make films. That's a good point. The concept isn't even there. It's like, well, I can just hop. I can make all these. So maybe it's going to take a while for it to swing back, and we get because like the lot. Like if you think of the next generation, people would talk about after those guys would be like Paul Thomas Anderson, right? But even he's like that's still like twenty years at this. That's point. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like even he's like not. Uh, did you see his latest movie, by the way? Which one? Licorice the, Pizza. I, I I told myself I would, and I was like, <sighs> it's not that good. I kind of at inherent vice, I kind of got off the train. Yeah i I watched it in the th- I watched it on a plane, and I remember thinking, is this just me, or am I not loving this? And then I saw just yesterday it was in the queue. It was in the Netflix or HBO like thing, and it mm-hmm. said Academy Award nominated. I'm like, who was nominated? Like, is this like just one of those like nomination or something? What's that? You know how you get like a screenplay nomination? It's like no, but I'm saying like yeah. this is one of those like oh like critics think they need to kiss his ass situation because this is not that good. It's got moments. What's his name is fucking hilarious. Uh, uh, Bradley Cooper. But he's like this much in it. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those performances that you remember. But he's not the movie. So yeah, licorice pizza fans out there, let me know. Send me DMs if you tell me what I'm missing. I might give it a second viewing because yeah. you know it takes that sometimes. But it's as the kids say, you do too much. Right. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. And I also kind of want justice for Bradley Cooper. Like I kind of feel like. <laughs> He was in comedies for a good minute. I think he was enjoying himself. And he's like, all right, cool. I'm going to be like a heartthrob and like make the star pitch. Um, I think that still makes sense somewhat. But like he's actually kind of good being funny. He, he There's another person who I think career we never think about this. Like Holly Berry, also somebody who really enjoyed comedies and like never really got to do them. I feel like both of them should just kind of lean back into that because that's actually probably what they're better at. That's a personal anecdote. But y'all can DM me. Like I don't, I don't care. So, so let's talk about gentrification. That's a great swing. Like that, for the record, that transition was awesome. That was like a TikTok level of chaos in the transition. Well, I know that. Well, I know I want to cover some of that with you. Okay, yeah, let's go. Uh, In many ways, I feel like I have a really not unique experience, but I think a pretty good experience. And and I don't think I've talked about it a lot on here. Mm -hmm. When I first started the podcast in seventeen twenty seventeen, there was a lot of talk about where. I was on the west side and the belt line and is this what this neighborhood needs? Do we need a bunch of fucking breweries? What is this even doing for the neighborhood? Does the neighborhood want this? Like there was a lot of that. I had Gravel on, like my second or third episode. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah, yeah. Uh and apparently people thought like I really stuck it to him, but to me it was like a regular conversation. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I, I I saw him like at a thing like a year later and I said, you know, I didn't think it was that controversial, but like a bunch of my friends said like you know, they didn't like you very much. He's like, that's fine. All my friends said you were the jerk. So it's like, that's how that goes. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. I need to actually listen to this one. You should definitely go back and listen okay, to it. Wow. But it's one of those things that I've learned as a as a person that does this is that people just take a stance and stick to it. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of me, you're going to love it. If you're fan, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like you just, it just, what do you call it? It just. Uh, you have your biases. Yeah. And your biases just get. More entrenched. Right. Just like political, right? Yeah. Like no matter what. No matter what Trump does, they're going to say it's great, and people, you know, for better or for worse, same thing with Biden. It's like the people going to who don't like Biden say, "Look how stupid that was." Yeah, but but I'm a I'm a I think I'm a a relatively like like ground zero of gentrification because I moved to Kirkwood hmm. in 2010, and Kirkwood was already coming up. We knew people that lived there that had moved there eight years before that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, this neighborhood was fucking rough, like rough. Mm-hmm. And then like what Kirkwood has become to me is like the most gentrified. Like 
the most like and just annoying YPPO situation, right? <laughs> okay. Why does that make you laugh so hard? I, didn't, I just wasn't expecting as a, a, a fly like at all. Well, the there's a charter school there called Drew Charter School. Yes, it's where my kids go to school. Oh, where? When we first moved there, our kids went to Toomer, which was the public school, and right down the street was Cohen, which was like you don't want to send your kids to Cohen, you want to send them to this new thing, Toomer, and we were kind of like. Like, well, let's just, let's like be in the neighborhood. Let's go to Cohen. And then there was all this bullshit that happened with the schools, blah, blah, blah. Eventually our kids get into Toomer. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, sorry, our kids get into Drew. Drew. And Drew was started for the kids that live in East Lake. East Lake, which is next to, is next to the school. Slowly but surely, as the neighborhoods get more and more white, uh, it becomes a real battle, right? Like wait lists and all that mm. stuff. People start doing that whole thing where they fake an address just to get their kids oh, to go wow. to Drew. We're in, once you're in, you're good. If you move, as long as you stay in APS, you're fine. Because we bought that house, lost that house, moved to the oh, West no, End to rent. It's hard. No, it's, trust me. It's one of those like, one of those amazing learning things that we can get into later. But anyway, I moved, so we moved to the West End, Okay. Row Circle Park, dead across the street. The breweries aren't there. And it's clearly still like, it's 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 not as nice as Kirkwood. Right, right. Okay. And even though you'd hear gunshots in Kirkwood, like you're seeing stuff firsthand in the park. Mm-hmm. So you see guys uh, setting off fireworks. You see guys like riding their fucking four-wheelers and popping wheelies. And I called the police on them. I was a fucking Karen. Okay, mm-hmm. I did not know it at the time, mm-hmm. and the first time I had an interaction with someone was this dude on his on his fucking four wheeler, like zipping through the park. At the time, I had a real little kid, mm-hmm. and I just went up to him. No, first I called the cops one time, and then the next time I thought, well, why don't I go talk to him? So I went up and I said, "Hey, man, could you not do that?" And he was like, "Who the fuck are you?" And I was like, "Hey, man, I'm just like, there's little kids running around." He's like, "I'm not gonna hit no kid." He's like, "My kids ride this thing, right?" He's like, you don't call the cops? And I was like, yeah. So stuff like that happened. And I thought, why are they giving me a hard time? I'm I'm poor too. Mm-hmm. I, I live here because I can't afford my fucking house in Kirkwood anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, not poor, but you, you it, know what I'm saying? There's levels to it. Right? Like, I'm renting here. Just like, you, you know what I mean? Like, and I have a shitty landlord to boot that like, when my when my, when the heater broke, said, put the fans on so it circulates the heat. Not, I'm going to come fucking fix your heat. Right. So I went through a slow, a slow, like, I mean, to use the term wokeness of like, oh. We're going to get into that too. Well, it's a dirty word now, but I'm saying that I'm not proud of being a fucking Karen, but I'm telling you, looking back. We all evolve, right? Like, and I think, I, I'm, I know some people get mad at me, but like, I'm very much about, and especially in like the, the Christian sense of like forgiveness and like letting people kind of, you got to. You're, whatever it is you were five years ago, you're not that person now. Whatever you're going to be in the next five years, right? There should be evolution. There should be growth. So, and also like even saying woke, like I think it's important to say where that's coming from, right? Like to be awoken by something is not a bad thing, right? Like we're talking this conversation, and there's nothing wrong with it. And also when we talk about woke in terms of like black vernacular English, like the demonization of that is like part of a larger conversation that we do not have time to get into today. But I think it's nothing wrong with you being like, hey, I was this person. I was a Karen. Because like now you're an actual like 
contributing citizen of your community, right? And like you, you did what you knew because that's what you knew in the first time. Like, so I'm not. Well, you want to know what? Angry about it. Well, thank you for saying that. But here's what changed. There was a lot of shit on. There was a lot of. It was a lot of. A lot of shit going on online in the Facebook groups, which again are now far worse than they were back then. But uh, I remember on the Kirkwood side, there was basically like, here's here's a post, right? It's going to be terrible. Whatever you're about to say next, I already know it's going to be terrible. Keep going. This black dude knocked on my door. Look out, right? I knocked on your door. Right? But like beat Bolo, right? Yeah, yeah. And then there's oh this whole God. argument about why didn't you invite him in and offer him a job? Why didn't you do this, right? Like there's that, what I'll call woke side. Oh, gosh, like white liberalism. Right. Okay. And then there's no... I don't. I fucking answer my door with a gun, right? Those people, white and black, that would say that. So yeah. on the west side, it wasn't doing that, but it was a bunch of shit. And I thought, well, let me be a good. Let me try to be better. And I put, I'm having coffee. Come by. Let's meet in fucking person and talk. And two dudes came, and they were like, like, oh, like you're serious. Like I'm like, yeah, let's fucking talk. So we had a couple of those, and we had a couple of like conversations like this. Yeah, like yeah. let's just fucking t- bullshit about our wives, whatever. And then. One dude, and then some other shit happened. I forget what it was, but one dude came by, and it wasn't a coffee time, but he had come to one, and he said, he said, the next time, because I was basically like, well, if I don't call the cops, then we're going to have anarchy, and the house is going to get burned out, like, basically something like that, and he just said, he doesn't even know this. I wish I remembered him. I'm sorry, dude. He just said, why don't, since you've been that guy, why don't you let somebody else call the cops next time? Just why don't you not do that? And it it just, like, in that moment was like, oh, he's he's right. I've become that guy. Yeah. I, I think also when you become that guy, I think it's a certain point that you kind of lose who you were like in that process because now you're just reactionary, right? And like you may have been somebody who's like very thoughtful or caring or somebody who's very like pragmatic, but now you're almost looking to be reactionary. And I think also it's good that it, like you kind of took that as a lesson because you don't want to be that guy forever because I guarantee that would have probably translated into other aspects of your life. And then like you're looking at yourself five years later, like who did I become, right? So it. It's progress, and I, I commend you for it. So we're going to still talk about gentrification and all of its nastiness, but I do think one of the things that I get, I do get criticism for this, which is sometimes people are like, you can't just, if they're a gentrifier, just like, you know, burn them, you know, eat the rich, throw, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, we got to understand when we talk about gentrification, like it's going to be levels to it and there's nuance to it. And I kind of like to deal with the nuance so we can get like some type of solution out of it because if you kind of come at people's enemies you're only going to get an enemy-based response so that's kind of how i I see it some people in the gentrification space don't like that and they don't like me for for kind of having that 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 mantra i have to say this story before we get into this bigger question Mm -hmm. and i'm going to ask you a very big question that i thought i might even open with this because it's pretty fucking heavy but there's a woman who lived behind us like behind us and to the left Mm -hmm. that was like I'm going to put a movie on in my backyard mm-hmm. really fucking loud. Yes. Right. And like I could hear it in my bedroom and it was like from eight to 10 and I forget what it was, but it was fucking loud. And at 10 o'clock she started another movie and I was like, like you gotta be conscious of your neighbors. Right. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm not going to call the cops. I'm going to walk over and ask. And I knocked on the door and it's a white lady. And I said, we can really hear, we can, I'm sorry, we can really hear that. Can you turn that down? I got small kids. We're trying to sleep, whatever. She was like, uh-huh. Shut the door in my fucking face and did not do anything. Some people are just shitty neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> White or black. <laughs> yeah, some people can be. I live in a neighborhood like that has a lot of noise, and I think that 
we have a community. I, I would say my neighborhood is like, I'm not going to say where it is because don't show up at my house. But it's like all. Can you say north, south, east, west? It's east. Everybody okay. knows me. I'm an east sider like for life. So Okay. Um, but it's like same thing. We have people, we have kids who do, do the ATVs. We have kids who like fireworks. We have, you know, we do have a community thing, which is like, it's not an official rule, but everyone knows, especially during the summertime, loud music plays until at least 11 o'clock at night. You got little kids. We're sorry, but that loud music is going to be playing. Right. Um, and especially like on the weekends, like any weekend, right. You're going to have like the barbecues, the cookouts, like the loud people going to park in the grass. But the, the trade off is though, like there's very little crime. Every neighborhood knows, even if you're on the other side of the neighborhood, everybody knows, okay, you shouldn't be here. Or who's this little kid? Because now, Everyone's kind of all invested, and may you may not like the noise, but now it's a lot more of a community, right? So like even like now when school starts, like all the people who normally would have loud music at eleven in the summer, they they cut it off at like six o'clock because everyone understands a lot of people still have kids here. Do that on the weekend. The weekend is another story. That music still gonna be playing until eleven o'clock on Saturday, Sunday. You just got to deal with that. But it is like kind of like how you live with people is, is very important, right? So I'm trying to think the the just say it. No, no, I'm just, I'm trying to think of, of, it's not about being nice about it. I just want to think about how I want to say it. Life is not fair. No, not at all. Does life have to be fair? To be what? To be anything. The, the, the concept of, of, so what you talked about in your, in your, in your TED talk, like the, Mm -hmm. the whole new deal conversation, let's Mm -hmm. do this for the people, Mm -hmm. right? Um, the whole idea of how does, how does, Sometimes it creates more problems, right? I can make more money not working than I can working. I don't give a shit about X, Y, and Z. I don't want to work, right? Now, I don't believe the old white adage that people have kids just to get more money because that's really fucked up. But the concept of if you can cheat the system, right? Cheat the system, Mm -hmm. right? So we know all the problems it can cause, which is another conversation I'm realizing as I'm saying. What I'm saying is in the world, some people succeed and some people don't succeed. And is it our job to make it fair for everyone. Okay, so there's a lot of parts to that. One, when we talk about the New Deal, I really love like that period of American history. I think there's a lot going on. I think we need to understand the New Deal is a reaction to the free market system like you're talking about going awry. And so if you have something that's like completely unregulated, well, not completely, but a larger system of like unfettered capitalism, once it does crashes, people should understand the response should be the New Deal, right? Like you couldn't have... Those things. And so when we talk about other things like welfare and other like types of social programs, those are an extension of that, but also like the civil rights movement. So there's like some nuance to it as well. But to your point, it's not necessarily about taking like having people cheat the system. I don't if if a hundred people in the zip code cheat the system, that's probably not gonna really move the needle financially. Not really, not for them, not for us, because that same five dollars that comes out of me and your your taxes every month for FICA, if a hundred people want to scam it, sure. Like they're not gonna really move that needle right like economically one way or another if we don't provide anything for people we've had a couple of examples of american history where that has not gone well and so even the wealth that you accumulate i want you to have a stabler life because other people are somewhat stable as well because if they're not stable you're not stable and so we kind of have to think about like stability yeah there's gonna be winners and losers but how stable do we want our society to be and when we talk about gentrification we talk about public housing we talk about other things that's kind of the thing we kind of need to think about. Like these things don't happen in a vacuum. They kind of move in the ocean. So one thing ripples here, but it actually ripples in another spot that you're not thinking about. And, and as a white person, I understand that I was born with certain advantages that other people weren't, 
right? Mm. And that sucks for people, right? Like, do I wish it was different, right? Do I wish there was a level playing field in this country? Yes. I know it's not. And I, I, I'm, I'm not saying I don't want it to be more equitable. I'm saying if we stop and think about it, right? And I'm not even talking about fucking drug addiction and mental health and all the shit yeah, that yeah. makes people really that makes Yeah, we're not dealing with tangents. We're talking about like the just the whole concept right. of like, well, we have to do this because what if I were to say, well, no, we don't. Like like mm-hmm. like the world can work on a meritocracy. It doesn't mean it's it's always gonna work out best, but wh- why do we owe it? You're saying is, is what you're saying is because the poor people will then revolt. It's like okay, cool. Then that's then that's what happens. Well, I say yeah. The they mar- burn the castle down. Cool. The fucking rich. That happens in a lot of other countries. Well, that does happen. I think America doesn't want the castle to burn down, which is like I think we got to kind of. I don't think people understand how close, especially with the labor movements like the late 1800s, early 1900s, before we get to World War, like one, how serious America was really faltering. Right to your point. Um, so I do think we got to understand like what's the balance, and I think that's for me where I'm at is like what's the balance on what do we do for letting the system that we're we're in right let that do what it's gonna do, but also not letting it tip over too far because I know I shit a lot about some of the things America does like shit on it, but in general people still look to this as the place for leadership and the examples on how to do things effectively right, and that's something that should be like cherished and and worked on if you can right so. I think part of it too is like everyone's kind of angry about shit and we kind of like everyone's kind of like too entrenched in their own particular sets right now to kind of like see the forest from the trees. Um, and so I think that's kind of what we're going to get at too, especially with gentrification because it, it goes over so many different things. Like it's kind of like all over the place and it kind of touches a lot of different things at once. Unlike some other issues, right? A gun control issue is a very specific type of thing versus like gentrification. You're talking public housing, affordable housing, private market citizenship, culture. You're talking financial like capitalization. It really does spill into so many di- different things that it, it's really amorphous when you start to deal with it. So I try to like deal with it on a piece-by-piece basis. I have, I have no problem. I have three children. Oh, that's what's up. Congratulations. <laughs> I have no problem telling my children, okay? Mm-hmm. It is a game. The game is rigged. Learn how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Not, well, fuck the game. I don't have to play it. Or again, an I, I understand that I'm I'm saying this from a quote unquote place of privilege, but I'm saying I no learned- more white self loathing for the rest of this conversation. All right, I actually like your state, and it's just okay. Good. No more Thank qualifying. You. Just say Thank the fuck you. what you're going to you. say. Thank I'm you. Because I say that to people too. I say why are you qualifying that. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate you. I I learned that real early. Mm-hmm. Like oh, rich people make the laws that say we pay things less. Okay. Like not well, fuck them, and it should change. But like this is this, like the game is rigged. Right, play the game, and that's in all walks of life. Right, like, like if you if you if you know how to survive in a job, for example, which I can't do. I've never been able to work for anybody. Oh, really? Wow. So you've been an entrepreneur the whole run? Well, I didn't know I was. I just had okay. a bunch of temp jobs. Okay. But knew I couldn't like because I had one temp job when I was twenty four, and I said to somebody. I just I've been here a week and I just learned a faster way to do this. Can we do it that way? No, why not? Because it's not the way we do it here. We've always done it this other way. And that was like, oh, I can't fuck that. You're an idiot. I can't work for you. Now am I gonna fight that my whole life? But if you can, if you can survive in that system, just the work system, right? And like I guess I asked money to Friday, but guess what? They're paying me fucking one fifty a year and I still am my own man. Right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I don't know where I was going, where we started with that. No, no, no. I, I, we, can, we can bring it back home. Let's go. Uh, right. So one of the questions you have, still, we're still talking about this notion of like, should we take care of people, right? And, and what is the, the, the modicum of care when we talk about housing and, and things like that? Um, the one fifty a year, and you work in the and that person working the nine to five is great. I think some people do fit in that, and some people also fit with you and what you're doing. Right? There's no necessarily right or wrong answer. Like there, when we come, when we talk about gentrification and housing. There are some general wrong answers and some general right ones, but a lot of that is just kind of more based on like the preference of the individual and like the organization, right? So, if you want to, we can kind of get into. It, but I don't want to cut off your questions. But I do think there's some things I want to make sure we kind of hit when we talk about well, that. So let's so let's get back to specific things in the Beltline. Yeah, Gravel and those dudes were all about making the Beltline happen. There's this thing called the Beltline Coalition. He's part of it. Mm-hmm. And then in a few years, it's like, oh wait a minute, these people are doing what they've always done, building stuff for rich people. Right. They promised they would do X and didn't deliver. And didn't deliver. Will that ever change? And how would we ever make that change? How would we ever, again, this, that's what I'm getting at, is yeah. the system being broken of the rich people going, but that's not what we want to do. You can't make us. F you. Again, it's like the not nice answer, which is that typically happens when like the poor, and now you have to be really poor, so we're talking to America, when usually the middle is like, you know what, we're going to go with this because the middle understands that they have more leverage. Whenever the middle starts moving towards something, that's when things actually start moving. Like we have 80 years of empirical data on this. Like, we, we ain't got to make a debate. If the, if the middle people on the Beltline was like, you know what, we want some inclusionary zoning. Overnight, that's changing. Like, they're going to have some. Or if, if, and you think they fight for it to be the rich way, or they just, they're just ambivalent and let it happen? It depends. It really depends on, like, the needs of that community. When I say that because one of the things we don't think about a lot, and this is about housing, and it's going to get into the Beltline, too, is think about the number of suburbs. Like, the majority of Americans live in suburbs. This is, like, a, a fact. We act, when we talk about the housing crisis, we're really talking about a suburban housing crisis. Right, we we're both in Atlanta. There, are, right now, there is about 200 acres of available land to develop something on right now within our city limits in this area of South Atlanta, Southwest Atlanta. You don't have that. You have a different issue in Paulding County, right? Like if you're in Paulding County, you got to think about land speculation. Somebody's going to come and tear down all the trees, move those trees somewhere. Then somebody's going to put pipes and water. So when we talk about like housing and stuff like that, those are two very different issues. But how it relates to this is our issues with what the middle wants right so right now what the middle wants in atlanta for the most part more people want to own right so that's why andre dickens has been letting the kind of developers do what they want so there's a lot more apartments here there's going to be a, a new push for townhomes and i was talking to a developer because we need more townhomes yeah there actually is a need for townhomes so i think people like my age people in their 30s who don't have kids but they don't necessarily want to rent for an apartment but they don't want a full house that actually is who you want your town because then that person stays as a, a taxpayer within your base right they want something that's kind of not full on homes, they don't want that responsibility, but not an apartment and maybe not a condo. So like the developer I was talking to, we were talking about like the impending condos that's going to start coming up on the west side soon. Um, I don't talk about my developer contacts just because I feel like you should keep that anonymous. That's fine. We yeah. watched our neighbors in Kirkwood even. Mm-hmm. In Kirkwood, we watched our neighbors, you know, we're like, it's our first house. We're loving it. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the neighborhood softball team. I'm getting involved. Yeah. And then like one by one, it was like, we're moving. Why? Well, we don't want to send our kids to school here. I think that's another, and issue. that's what's going. That's is now the middle. Is like, not what's going to happen in the townhomes too. Uh, so that's something I think APS is kind of looking towards too. I, my hot take on that is I think you're going to see more Drew Charter schools and more Maynard Jacksons to keep those people here. Um, what's the, the new David T. Howard school that's just like not too far from here, um, not too far from Crock Street Market? It's like they redid it. Martin Luther King's. That's what they really put a lot of money into it. I think that's going to be the reply to that. And that's what the middle wants, right? So the middle right now doesn't care about gentrification, to be honest. Like, the people in the middle 
of our housing market in Atlanta don't care. But what they are going to care about is schools. They're going to care about like the perception of crime, and they're going to care about what amenities do they have for them and their kids. They're the people pushing the belt line in a certain direction. And if they ever felt like, you know what, it's not affordable now, then the belt line changes overnight, right? Because the middle of the biggest base, like you have, what, 10 rich people here who can afford um, million-dollar condos along this belt line. The actual developer costs for most of these places between 250 and 400 Some you can still get a actual mortgage for. So that's what I'm looking at when I think about that. Like, whenever the middle wants, they're going to get it. There's a new generation that was not here. I've said on this podcast many times, when I grew up, the suburbs were white, downtown was black, never the twain shall meet. Yeah. There was always this concept in the 80s and 90s of more people got to go downtown. Like, all cities was like, mm-hmm. white flight, fucked everything up, everything's decaying, let's move back. And it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And then the Beltline did help make that happen. Mm-hmm. So now these people in their 20s and 30s are partying on the Beltline every weekend. I don't know where they all work, but they're all living, walking, breathing mm-hmm. in in town, right? Mm-hmm. So will they, will those kids, like, will they do the white flight thing or will they start going, huh, I still like living here. I've still got friends. I've made a life. I love the Beltline. I want to stay here. I'm not partying as much, but can I send my kids to school here? I think the answer is both, not both. Like, not yes or no, both. Uh, to the point, I do think, there's probably going to be uptick in private schools. There's already an uptick in charter schools, so expect more. But if it's more private schools, that doesn't that doesn't help. Well, if I live in Atlanta, I have a good life. Me and my lady friend, we like where we're going. Um, we want to stay here. And she doesn't like the school that we're in. She's going to be like, let's go to – I'll do private. I'll just do private. I'll pay the money. It works. Um, as the as the and then the more resources go to that and the more people go to that, the, the non-private gets worse and worse and worse. Or, and eventually closes. Yeah, I was going to say that might be the other issue. Is I think APS might do something that New York kind of does, which is like a decentralized enrollment kind of thing, which is you can go to – you have your neighborhood school if you want to go to that. But this idea of like, oh, now there's a tech high school. Now there's an arts high school. And it's a way to kind of keep – That hand. sounds super smart. I think that's probably the future of that, right? To, to your point, right? There's only so many charters. I think it's either all charter schools, which is what makes parents feel more comfortable. You can make some immediate changes. Or you do like the decentralized model where you have a various neighborhood schools plus specific schools that you can get to. I think that's probably more viable because APS already has a lot of land that they need to sell and schools they need to sell because they have low enrollment. And if you need cash to develop the new schools, new teachers, whatever, you're going to probably have to do that decision. Have you watched The Wire? Yes. Okay. I love it. Big fan of The Wire here. Mm. We have watched and watched that shit happen. And we say it all the time in my house. It's like, yep, it's just like The Wire. Mm-hmm. Like, we were fighting those tumor battles, and I can't even remember what they were. My I was, my wife was, like, mm-hmm. taking that on, right? Mm-hmm. And we were all about that. And then it was like, the people came. It's one of those situations, the people come, we're going to sit here and pretend to listen to you, and then we're going to go do what the fuck we want anyway, right? Getting mm-hmm. back to this, like, rig system concept yeah. of, like, uh, again, like, knowing that, I can I can keep I can keep marching and I can keep fighting or I can go okay what do I want to do with me my kids my community in this fucked up system right I do agree I think that that so what I'm saying is eat all that stuff we're talking about it when you like we still can't make people do anything and money talks right we can make people do things I promise nobody likes that option that that type of society we listen to people are forced to do something like that you do not want to live in that kind of society like there's real examples of this, but nobody, like to a point, nobody in America would want to 
to do that. If it's working in New York, the question would be, well, why not do it here? And the answer would be, because somebody hasn't figured out how to get rich enough off it yet, right? That'd be kind of it. But the other thing is, too, like the New York private school thing is, they still have private schools. Like New York still has like amazing private schools, but it becomes this thing where, same thing, like some people's public schools are better than some people's like public schools, right? And then it works because everyone's kind of invested into it. In a way that's like not for other people, right? If you are in New York and you live on the Upper West Side, there are ex- there are public schools on the Upper West Side of New York that are better than some of like our best private schools down here, right? They are public schools, but there are people who still send their kids to private schools because they want them to get even more ahead of the kids who go to that school. There's always going to be that person, so we kind of just got to keep that like in mind, right? We have the best public school in the world, and somebody said like, you know what? I want my kid to go to Woodward Academy. It let's. Just taking the Woodward Academy. I just, I just thought of just back to this thing you said about like the self loathing. I think I have a lot more of it than I thought, dude. I think you do, but I think it's time to let that go, man. No, but I'm saying like the way I talk about white people in general because I've seen these direct examples. You want to hear a horrible one? Sure. My kids go to Drew. Yeah. I got an email, get a lot of emails from the school. Mm. Uh, we went to school after everybody. We were masked longer than anybody. Like I was going fucking nuts. Like we, like we probably never would have really moved. We kept talking about it because they kept pushing it and pushing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was that spring to that fall to the next spring, and it was like we can't fucking do this anymore. Like our our boys uh, have mental health issues. Oh, no. They get help for it. Mm-hmm. They can't. Like they weren't gonna fucking sit on a computer and do yeah. not. Not day one. Mm-hmm. It was like not going to happen. We had to get them in school. And all the emotion development, all of it is just like the – when you ask me about the pandemic, like mm-hmm. I'm okay. It fucked up my kids. Yeah. That was the hardest part. So anyway, the point is – um, but it was the price we paid for being at that school. Like mm-hmm. Cobb County, they're fucking in school every day. <laughs> I mean, they didn't they also had a lot of teachers die. So like, let's let's do the trade off on that one. Like, actually die in Cobb County because of that and severe like long COVID. So there are trade offs, right? So getting back to this idea though of of this school is, I see these emails that go out and it was like, do you want to join the diversity and inclusion com- com- committee, or do you want to join the community act there were like four programs that were all the same fucking thing which is white people right all white people being like i'm gonna we're gonna you know what i mean that's the thing that makes me embarrassed to be a fucking white person no sometimes you just gotta tell people to chill out like no what i'm saying like those are the people who who freak out over everything and that's what like i said makes me go because i hate those people like i don't want to join any of those because they're run by but why would a school need more than one? I'm literally I should I should go through my old emails to find the names, but I'm telling you it was three names that were the same thing and mm. it was all fucking white people. I think sometimes too it's important like my dad always says it's like it's sometimes just important to to just see like don't do anything to see and like see how other people react first. Like I would I don't know what it's like at Drew right now as a parent, but I will say, actually have a cousin who works at Drew. So if you have an issue, let me know. It's a great school. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a great school. My kids are learning. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of we have a couple of kids. Like there were a couple of kids that like know my kids and fought for my kids. And like oh, good. when like when shit goes sideways with Jackson, like they'll pull us aside and we'll talk to them. Like they there are some awesome teachers and there's some that don't get it and are shitty. And that's just the na- that's yeah, just yeah. the name of the game. Like they're just that's they don't every job though. Right, yeah. I I accept that. Yeah, but I, I think, too, about everything with schools and, and choice and all of these things. It's it's the reason. I think right now, I think 
this is a broader thing. I think we all need to kind of sit back for a minute. The entire country needs to take like a good two years off and just like reassess and like listen. Like, because whatever it is right now, it's going to take two to three years to get right anyway. Oh, okay. We're going to have an, an, we have an inflation. That's really going to realistically take two years to solve, right? We're going to have a recession. That's probably going to take two years to solve. We have a housing crisis. Gonna, for the next years, everybody needs to just chill, listen, don't make any rush movements because the things that are already in place, we kind of need to let them play out. No new DEI measures anywhere right now. All right. No new what? DEI measures to what you just said. Oh. <laughs> like not like seriously, everybody chill out for a minute. Like everybody just chill out. We'll probably get through this together and be better at it if we all just kind of chill the fuck out for a minute. Right, but that's not going to happen. I hope so. Like we need like a great like the great smoke break or something. Are you are you a Carlin fan? I do like George Carlin. So I grew up a huge yeah. Carlin fan. So I did stand up. That I was, knew that I when knew you that. when you asked me yeah. like what I would like have I always been this way I didn't I didn't think I could own a business because I thought a businessman was a guy who went and to school and, and like got that. a degree yeah. and had you I mean so I didn't figure it out till age like thirty thirty five that I could actually be my really be my own boss or whatever <laughs> but I love I worshipped him as a comic mm-hmm. I saw him live a few times he had a documentary come out about his life a few years ago I I saw I think when it came out but I just watched it again mm-hmm. and everything he says. In 1990, right, is still true today, right? About yeah. America, and what he always said is like, I like people, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like groups. When groups get together, right? So I'm the same way. Like I like, it, I'm not not a people person, but I get very disheartened. You know, the things he what does he say? He's like, uh, he's like, what is America good at? Bombing the shit out of people. You know, yes. we can't build a TV worth of shit. Can't can't teach our kids, can't take care of poor people, like all that stuff. Everything he's saying could be 2022. Yeah, and that's kind of like a sign of like, and I don't want people, I don't want you, I don't want other people to feel nihilistic about this, like, oh, it doesn't change. (laughs) Again, I can't stress this enough. Things can change, but I think right now, a lot of the stakeholders like the status quo. Of course they do. And because you like the status quo, the same people who are bombing things, the same people who are just like building terrible TVs in 92 are also still, their grandkids are running them in 2022, right? Like we kind of have to like pull back a bit. So it gets into this thing of like both nepotism and almost like a de facto meritocracy to what you said earlier, right? And so the meritocracy in this case is like effectively just the people who already had it before just kind of doing the same thing. Every couple of years, like every couple of decades, we get a true, true shift where that could change. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it stays the same. So we just kind of have to. Do you know who Nick Nick Love is? No, but that sounds like an R and B singer. I know he he's he's not. He's like an A and R guy. Oh, and uh, I just interviewed him, and we were t- we talked. We had a great interview. Then we talked. We just had coffee a couple days later because we were having a good conversation, yeah, much yeah. like this. And by the way, real quick, you would, I looked through our messages. We were going to talk in 2018. I'm a firm believer in like everything happens when it's supposed to happen. Right, right. This is when this was supposed to happen. Hey, that works for me. Whatever. We, it doesn't mean we couldn't have talked back then. But I've had that happen with a lot of people, either because. One of us canceled it, or I just like never wrote back, or I find these DMs I'm like, holy shit, I was going to talk to you in 17. Look how much yeah. has happened in your life and my life since then. So anyway, but he said, we all thought, because he's like my age, a little bit younger, he said, we all thought like all those old ass senators would be out because we're that generation. Yeah. But the senators, like, like I didn't know Marjorie Taylor Greene was coming. Because she's my age, or maybe a little younger, you know what I'm saying? Like, as a Georgian, we probably shouldn't claim her. Just like let's not as a but, whole thing. But I like, just use her as not. an example yeah. of we thought, oh yeah, like we're the young people now. We're gonna we're gonna fucking change it because we think this is bullshit. We think the system is fucked. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that those people always exist in every generation. Right. That is true too. Like I am all for like 
putting new leadership, new thoughts. I'm also a person who's like, don't let the crazy people get the microphone. And again, I know that's not a controversial take, but like some people don't need to have their voices like out there like that. I know, again, that sounds very North Korea-ish, but like if Marjorie Taylor Greene is like giving off werewolf conspiracy theories for five fucking minutes, no one has gained anything from that from her being on the mic. Like zero. Like there is nothing that's happened. We've all gotten worse and dumber for the, the last five minutes, do, right? Do you ever think about being in politics? Uh, no, but I like the money that they get. So <laughs> they get good money. Like people who are like, see, not like your local, I'm here, like, like I'm Matt, we're like the neighborhood campaign. Those people are probably broke, like spending their own personal money. But once you get to like Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Green is like the sixth or eighth highest, like of all people, period, a like fundraiser in the country, right? When you get to that level, your life is good. Like their money they make is good. Like you got a boat kind of good and a second wife. Like you're doing all right on that level. Not a second wife. Please don't get a second wife. So, but yeah. I would I wouldn't get I'm gonna say that I'm not gonna say I'm never to politics, but it will be like I would wanna do something that's just like effective. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know necessarily if like running for office is like necessarily the most effective thing to do. But it could be. We haven't even talked about kind of what you do on the daily. I don't think people even know that either, which is kinda of wild. Like I know you have a sub stack. I it it'd be stacking and stuff. Tell the young folks or sorry, tell the old folks what a Substack is. Tell people my age what a Substack is. I think for all folks. Uh so Substack is a basically an email. You know what it is? It's a blog platform that allows you to collect uh emails and charge people. That's it. Um now they have a update where you can put in podcasts. Um they're really trying to compete with Patreon. And also for the young people at home, if you want to know why Instagram has like this like the, the the new button where you can support your creators is kind of in reaction to both Substack and Patreon, but that's where I'm at. I'm on Substack. I'm what you know who? Uh, oh my God! You know Brandon Butler, right? Butter, yeah, that's my guy. Yeah, so I had him on, and because we, I saw him speak at a thing, and he said, he said, social media, blah blah blah, it's all great. He says, but I'm much prouder of the, and then he has a big number email addresses we have and have as many phone numbers that we have email list they have a big email list right because that's the value because you can be deplatformed or the algorithm can fuck you up and it, it you you ask any I, I talk to guys who make real money from youtube and i go how scared are you of the algorithm swapping and your your viewership going down they're like every fucking day yeah it's literally like that not and i don't you you understand i don't mean deplatform you i just mean yeah all of a sudden you went from 10 million views to 2 million views you made five thousand a month. Now you're making a thousand a month, right? Right. So that it like that we we stopped collecting emails on for the obstacles because I was like, ah, oh, people don't want to deal with it. People nah, don't I fucking would, read emails. That's the fucking value, bro. That is the value, and that's why I'm kind of at Substack now. So I still write for other people. So people don't know. So officially, I am a documentary filmmaker and a journalist. We we have spent an entire hour and we have not gotten to what I actually do. Um, I have a Substack called I am King Not his real name. No, it's just a nickname. Um, so it's just. Because I'm bossy, but um, I haven't really, really do. It's just talk about the intersection of Atlanta and Georgia and to like the rest of the world. Um, I had to take a little bit of a, a break the last couple of years. Not break, but what I mean by that is like sometimes I used to do four or five articles and sometimes ten articles. Monday and it dropped down to like one or two this year. Uh, one of which is because I take care. I was working with my father who has uh, cancer. And my aunt who is uh, paralyzed and also has some severe mental health issues not like like what you think is she had a stroke and so it she has aphasia as a result so it's hard for her to speak so i had to take a a, a big pause back on my Substack, but now it's back up and going for the election season and we're talking a lot about different things related to politics and georgia 
and after the election, it's going to be a lot of things just about Atlanta and history and things I'm already in, interested in and engaged with. Uh, what did you make of our most recent debate? Which one? The Abrams or the, the Abrams or Kemp one was fine. Shane Hazel's was, again, the Marjorie Taylor Greene rule. Everybody don't need a mic. And I say that without, I think for both, if you're a Kemp and Abrams supporter, you can feel good about the debate for both your candidates. I think they were prepared. I think they both had some issues where they kind of like skated over certain questions. Uh, but I think overall it was fine. It was very, what a debate should be mid and like you hear some policy questions and you kind of move on. Um, the Walker debate, I was and Warnock. I was more surprised by how that got off the rails that that fast, and how much people gave Walker the benefit of the doubt for giving a entry level. I filled out my SAT questionnaire like support of it. And I was like, this is not good uh, for democracy. Does he have a real chance? Yes. I, I don't want to say something that's going to offend your voters. So I, I had. A different Why reply. would you? I don't have voters. I'm mean, not voters. I mean, your listeners. Cause we just said voters. That's my head was that. Uh, so I will say this: anybody who has a this is some hist- This is something I am doing for my newsletter now. And I've been working with a lot of political scientists on this. Ever since the election of Barry Goldwater in 1964, white people as a whole support the Republican Party regardless of the candidate. So that when somebody made a joke on Twitter a couple weeks ago about it doesn't matter who is running in the Republican slot, they're going to guarantee get 48% of the vote. They're kind of true about that. Um, there is, we have empirical data on this, especially both in midterms and presidential elections. On average, whoever is the Republican candidate is probably going to get the majority of white votes, which means the majority of people in the country. And that vote typically will always put that candidate in the running. It didn't even have to be Hirschwald. It could have been the girl right outside of here who's on a computer who has no idea what we're talking about. If you just put her with an R next to her did name you, in the debate. Did you, do you remember? Do you she'll remember? Do <laughs> she'll win. She'll probably get 48% do of the vote. Do you remember that Chappelle? The, they did that, set, that skit on SNL the night of the election and Chappelle was in it. And yes. there were and there were four white people and and Chappelle and they were all you know the the night goes on and they're all yay Hillary and there's no way Trump can win he's a fucking idiot and then Trump wins and Chappelle was like I'm not surprised he was never surprised yeah like we're never surprised so I y'all because I was I was I was there's you no are way in the this minority c- if you didn't vote for the the Republican candidate and amongst white people like there's too much data on this when a white person votes for a Democratic candidate you are statistically outside of the norm I voted for. Yeah, don't tell people how you vote. I want people throwing tomatoes at you. I don't care. Okay. I voted for Obama twice. I voted for Hillary. I'm probably not going to vote in this election. That's fine. Safe space. (laughs) Safe space. I'm I'm telling you where I'm at because I've gone full circle. I've gone from, from, you know, when you're young, like fight the fuck system, blah, 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 to just, you know, a less angry version of that. I just had this conversation with uh, with Nick. Mm -hmm. The day Obama won... I went to the, I had to happen to go to the bank that day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I went to cash my check back when we still went to the bank. And there was a black woman who was a teller. And she said, How are you doing today? And I said, I am doing great. And she said, Me too. And there was this unspoken, like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I watched the next 80 years happen. And I started to slowly go back to it's never gonna change. Both both parties are fucked. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if my vote matters anyway. That's where of, I'm at today. No, there's a lot of people who feel that way, right? As a black person, I just I'm going to always vote because I know how hard it was for my people. I mean, like, not like in some metaphorical civil rights movement. I mean, like my grandma. My I think I skipped an election there, by the way. I got yeah. I, I forgot who was. A who, lot of people skipped those who was, elections. Who was 16 and 20? No, I'm saying I voted. Hillary was 16, Trump and Joe Biden was 22. Biden, yeah. So I voted for all those people. I voted for every Democrat going, going all the way back. And whoever yeah. was before Obama, I voted for Clinton. Like, I did it the whole way. 
I understand people want to ROI, and I think I was at a political event last night. That was kind of the thing where there's two types of ROIs. People want the ROI that they can actually feel about, right? The tangible ROI, you know. I voted for Matt. We got the bridge. He said he's going to build the bridge, and now the bridge is here, right? It's the one thing I do think people miss. I think Democrats misunderstand about Trump voters is he didn't really have much policy, but when he's like, I'm going to build the wall, that is a tangible thing. You can see a wall. You can feel a wall. Um, he says we're going to like insert like something like that. It's a tangible When he ROI. says, yeah. I'm going to keep out the brown people, how do we not have enough black and brown people to not vote for that guy. That was pretty straightforward. Black people weren't going to vote for Donald. The moment he opened his mouth, I was like, oh, this man's a But I'm saying, yeah. and brown people. Yeah. Because we, we like, aren't white people finally a minority, but they kept saying it was coming, but now it finally is? Kind of, sort of. Well, you are, but, like, not where you think you are. But that's the question. If, 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 if that dude says, let's keep these people out, mm-hmm. right, it was like, well, who's going to vote for that guy? He wants to keep out all the brown people. Well, and he hates gays. Nobody gay is going to vote for him. He has. So I think like it's like the Ronald Reagan thing. So I don't. I, listen, I don't even know we're going to mention Ronald Reagan today. So Reagan, especially like his, and there's a lot of good stuff about Reagan from like eighty and eighty four. But Reagan's whole thing was, and this is kind of like the, the general position, like the Republican Party, which is we only need to get ten percent of black voters to win, which is historically true. Like if if the the average mean of black voters or the average mean of white voters vote, if it came down to a tie. You only need about ten percent of black voters to push over, which is something that Trump realized. The Biden thing in twenty twenty was so atypical for a host of reasons. Like most people who study that put that with an asterisk because there's a lot of other factors going on. For brown people, most Latinos are like kind of fifty fifty on the Democrat Republican support, right? Trump is the only thing that kind of pushed them almost exclusively for the Democratic candidate in twenty twenty, but now it's kind of dropped back down to its normal levels. Asian Americans, depending on what community, don't typically vote at all, and when they do. It's like 70-30 GOP, unless you're in California or New York. So those things can really move. Donald Trump in 2020 is just such an outlier that that whole year is its own special category. But for the most part, people do feel like they want a tangible ROI, not the small ROIs, right? Like, I think about, we're going to bring up Obama. So Obama actually has a lot of small ROIs that most people never touch, right? So Everything from like you, the average person under $100,000 actually got more back on their, their day-to-day checks, but it wasn't like the big thing, right? It's like, oh, okay, the average person gets about an extra $3.50 out of a dollar. Like nobody really, you know, I mean, out of 100 bucks, right? So it's like, that sounds cool and like economic theory and an economist, but like the average person doesn't feel that, right? The average person didn't feel like, oh man, Obama didn't give me just that, like the big wins that we kind of wanted to get, like versus like a Reagan when he was like, I'm going to... You know, shut down these particular services. He did when he had the thing with the um, the airport. He had a tangible win. He stood up to the unions. He beat the airport guys and the air traffic controllers. P- politics is about how people feel, even if you don't agree with it, right? So Reagan did a lot of big things, but like not a whole lot of small things. Obama did probably a hundred very small things that the average person is just like, so fuck what, right? It doesn't. It didn't change your life on a macro level, and it didn't make you feel good. Like you couldn't touch, you couldn't see, you couldn't. And I think that's where we are with politics. And then. The gridlock of things is like also not helping. And so even with the Biden thing with the student loans, this man campaigned on that, right? So I wanted he could say, I, I fulfilled my campaign promise, but there's now a bunch of cuts to it. And then $20,000 for people who I have a friend of mine who has $200,000 in debt doesn't really move the needle at all on that one, right? And it doesn't address interest payments. So people need to feel empowered and they need to see real wins. And I no, think, I think, I think, yeah, I think getting 20 grand off your 200 grand is, is a nice chunk. It's not two thousand. I don't owe nobody two hundred dollars, so like I can't imagine how owing somebody two hundred thousand feels. But I understand. 
So this conversation is making me want to vote again. Honestly, this like I've I went for I've gone from not giving a shit to oh fuck I guess I should. Um, this is safe space, man. You do what you no, but it's place. just it's just interesting that just thinking about things in a real because it's so it is so easy to be cynical, and I and trust me, I stay off. This is the most I've talked about quote unquote politics, and I couldn't tell you other than with my wife. Oh wow, you, you know what I mean? Like I don't I I don't debate on social. I'm off Please Facebook. I'm I'm almost. I'm only on I'm only on Facebook at all because I have businesses on it. But for a while they didn't even touch IG. Now they've infested IG as well. But thankfully, like sl- I just realized, kind of in this moment talking to you, that like I've slowly unfollowed. Because if you post about either party, if you post some fact, quote unquote, about either party, I unfollow. Whether I, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you're because well, now I'm that's that all I'm person. Because I I have to do that for my no no job, so no I no post about no King. You're 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 a person. No, it's who's okay looking. to unfollow. I'm still gonna follow you. You're a professional, but you're a professional, and okay. I respect your opinion. But some yeah. random person that I'm not really friends with anyway posts. Did you fucking see some hatred, some outrage? Some yeah, some that's really not just use. Let's just use the term outrage. Okay, yeah. Uh, some outrage either way. I, cool, unfollow, and so now my feed is less and less of those things because I I I, I unfollowed you. You know what I'm saying? That's what I should say. Not just politics, mm-hmm. but outrage. That's followed by some. Because I'm telling you, man, whew, like the stuff that makes me upset is like we all, and I'll speak personally. We all and I all want to be on the right side. I think everyone does, though. But quote unquote right side. So the the riots were happening June of 2020. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, I live here. I'm going to go down there." Mm-hmm. So a couple times, I just went for my run. I live in the West End, so it's a two and a half mile run to the CNN Center and back. Yeah, I would go down and I would just kind of be around it. And then on Saturday or whatever one of the days, I went down with my kids and you know, was a part of it. And like, I want them to see this. Mm-hmm. And I was moments of joy, moments of sadness, all, all of it. But one thing that was a fact was after the first couple of nights, Centennial Park was closed. Mm-hmm. And I saw men with guns standing there and it was like frightening. It was, I, I have a whole series of thoughts. About but let that. me, but let me get to what I'm, what I'm about to say is like, it was closed. You couldn't walk in. Mm-hmm. It was just dude standing, and I talked to one of them. I wish I had to do it over again. I should have filmed the fuck out of it because I would have gotten some damn YouTube views. Because yeah. um, I've seen a couple videos that weren't even very good. I'm like, shit, I could have done that and just documented kind of what was happening. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, I did talk to a couple guys. Like, how long are you guys here? Like, we don't know. We're just stationed here till they tell us to leave. So then I see on Instagram. This is where I'm going with this. They're locking people up in the park at night. They close the park at ten o'clock, and whoever's left in, they're taking them to jail. Blah blah blah. And I was like. And I wrote the woman and I said, what park are you talking about? Because she's just saying the park. And she immediately, like I could tell, was kind of on the defensive and was like, you know, Centennial. And I was like, you can't get it. She's like, I know. My friend's a lawyer. He did this. And I was like, okay, so this is, again, my side of things. The left side of things is, is making shit up and taking something somebody said and turned it into this is now happening and this is how quote unquote fake news spreads but it 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 just truly disheartened me because this person didn't want to hear my opinion and I was fucking there yeah i think too like that's a good point about that like in 2020 in particular i I'd, I'd had to do a lot of like online like just like not writing just like addressing false things right i i have a lot of i have journalism friends who still were actually like shot by the police during that time right so it was like 
we have photos, we have videos. I have people who came as like a document legal observer to to do those things. To your point, right? At after night two, wasn't nothing happening downtown. So I was like legitimately going to people's accounts, like, hey y'all, this person is like, this is not happening the way it's happening. Or I remember when the protest was happening and then it turned into the riots when they, uh, some kids had raided Phipps, right? And people are like, well, the protesters are going from... I'm like, if you are on foot, nobody else understands this. Those people there were on foot. There was... Because it happened at the exact same time, there is there is absolutely no way you can go from CNN Center to Phipps Plaza in five minutes on foot. It is actually impossible. But like the way people were perceiving was like, oh my gosh, there's people like now leaving the protest and walking up to Phipps. I'm like... Everybody in Atlanta knows that's like a good 15 mile drive. Right. You cannot do it, right? But like the perception of that was like, and that's why as like the journalist part of me is like, all right, let's let's take some truth and fiction. The kids who did that did that because they wanted to, that no no securities at home. So they stole. They had nothing to do with that. They didn't even attend it. When they got arrested, they weren't even they didn't even realize the protests were happening. They just happened to, to steal and they were gonna go do something anyway. They happened to steal because nobody was at Phipps. Two different stories. Like the thing about Linux Mall. So like this was something I was doing some uh, article on in 2020. Like just 20, not 2021 for a good reason. Phipps Plaza um, and like and Linux are owned by Simon Properties. Uh, Simon Properties had put out a statement in late November of 2020. That's when more people started to start to go back in the holiday season. People were really concerned. That's when they started put trying to, the idea of putting up like metal detectors was really around that time. Um, that's also an ATL scoop. Like the Instagram like crime porn account was really getting starting to get big. They were like every shooting that happened at Linux Mall. This is from Simon Properties themselves. Were like was not people from Atlanta, right? But when you saw the social media, you saw the local news. It was anticipating that. Oh my God! All these kids from Atlanta are like shooting at Phil. I mean, at Linux Mall. Like people who live in Atlanta don't shoot at Linux Mall. That's the place where young people go to meet girls. They try to flex. People go to the Apple Store. People who live here don't have that behavior. But like. Addressing the false news of it, I think, was like a tough situation for most of my 2020 because it was like there was narratives and then there's news. And I try to stick on the side of news, but narratives went out like every single time. And that's the thing that kind of frustrates me. Because well, people sometimes. love to share yeah. that that infographic or that. Oh, don't even get me started. Um, the people, the people posting the. Here's the phone number to call if you get arrested, and it was by the fucking white girl who was nowhere near. Nor were any of her friends near, but like that's the true sort of SJW, social justice warrior. Yeah. But I want to quickly uh, side note, you know, Lennox wasn't like that when I was a kid. No. And I had no idea this happened. I had no idea there was some flip. And I literally went to Lennox, and I don't even remember what year, and I was like, when did this become a place for black kids to hang out? And it I'm is. not worried by it, but I'm saying like- It is like the black people mom. But it's not. Yeah, I mean, black cult because uh, so a couple things. Y'all had y'all had Greenbrier, Greenbrier, Cumberland was mixed. Lennox yeah. was a hundred percent white people because guess who lives near fucking Lennox? Buckhead, he, Buckhead, white Betty's. people, Buckhead Betty's, and you know, right, Buckhead Brandon's. Um, but no, I think because you had a couple malls close, like Greenbrier kind of closed down. Um, Camp Creek is like it's it, it's kind of just like in this weird space where nobody really wants to go to Camp Creek. I actually, um, I but because of where I live, I actually live pretty close to Camp Creek now. Right. So we go to that Target now. Okay, where? And that Walmart, whatever's down there. Yeah, and then like South DeKalb closed, Stonecrest was going down. Like all the black malls, and even North DeKalb, like malls in general going down, but all the black malls kind of went down at the same time. So then it was like, what's left? Lennox. And Atlantic Station is technically a mall, but like, eh, not really. So I think I see more... There. I think I see more blacks than whites at Atlantic Station, though. 
you probably do because just where it sits at. Um, right. It's kind of central. Atlantic Station low-key is one of the best locations in all of Atlanta. And I'm willing to say, I think it might be the actual best. Next to Piedmont Park is like the best centrally located space we have. For? Just like anything in terms of like congregating, identif- easily identifiable for people who aren't from Atlanta, easily accessible. It does have has some mass transit. Like you have a bus service that still goes over there. You can come from Georgia Tech. It's a much better space to kind of be at than I think even the, the managers who's the people out of Houston now who bought it from North American Partners who did Avalon and redid Colony Square. Um, Mark Toro, like the goat of like Atlanta commercial real estate. They're not managed, I think, up to where it could be. Um, but I think those are two, probably the two best centrally located places we have in the city, unless you know something better. But I think Phipps and – not Phipps, I'm sorry. Piedmont Park and um, Atlantic Station are. I, I take my kids to see movies at, at North DeKalb Mall because it's no – It's like $5. It's because like it's $5 cheap. and yeah. no one's there. Right. The Christmas movie comes out. We're there 11 a.m. We get the whole room to ourselves. I actually love that for that reason because – so, you know, they're redeveloping that mall, right? So they're keeping that AMC because that is like one of the highest performing movie theaters in the entire state. Because of that reason, it's cheap, and so people just yeah. Go. There's literally nothing else open in that mall. No, there's a there's a Wendy's. So, yeah, why is Wendy's still open? Like I have no idea. But they're not open when we go at eleven. Okay, so yeah. we can't even. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of like random ass stores, and some of them are open and some of them are closed. But most right. of them aren't open when we go to that first movie in the morning. Yeah, I can see that because like, but that Wendy's too is like basically like two people. They're like, listen, man, we're just here. <laughs> like they don't even care. Like they're just like, listen, we don't care that you're gonna sneak this food in here. Like whatever, man. But but just yeah, that Lennox flip is just one of those like very specific Atlanta things that you could not have predicted. If you said this is going to become a black kid hangout in 1995, you would have been like, or 2000, you'd been like, what the fuck? What do you know? That's not going to happen. Oh, and it did. I think also too because like back to like Mark Toro, like the goat. I think Loki Avalon took away that Buckhead Brookhaven crowd. I don't know if you've been to Avalon yet. I probably have been there at least once because I know I'd heard of it. It's like an Alpharetta. It's like their it it feels like alpha it's like a combination of atlantic station and serenby but doesn't like smyrna have one too like they all have some work live play bullshit well they all do because mark toro north american partners he was the guy who was like he's actually from uh, a big northern guy he's actually from new jersey but when he did that avalon because i think people forget this he did avalon and then within five years atlantic station opens in avalon and so Every suburban place now wants to either be Atlantic Station, one of his designs, or Avalon, which is like a smaller suburban style of it. Right. But like they're all just copying his designs on that one. So, and now I think they're going to start copying some of the stuff he did with Colony Square. But also, he kind of like borrows a little bit from Serenby down in South Fulton with the Avalon space. I mean, what's a, but what's special about Colony Square? They threw a couple food places there. Yeah, it's just like a refacing, right? Trying to make it more forward facing um, for like consumers and versus like just the people who worked in the buildings. So, me they have the, a movie theater in there too. At Colony Square? Mm-hmm. Across the street at, at SCAD or whatever? Not SCAD, but whatever that is. Yeah, they have a little movie theater. Yeah, like, yeah, across the street. Well, that's been there. Um, so I. Uh, no, no, not the SCAD. I'm talking about in the Colony Square thing. It's called iPick. Like I like the little iPod. iPick. It's like a dinner and a movie kind of space. Okay. When did that open? When the, the revamp opened, so probably like late last year. Because I spent. I basically hunkered down the pandemic with this one other dude. There was a WeWork there. My buddy mm-hmm. Jay had a space in there that he wasn't using. He said, you can use my spot. And because no one was there, I literally, like, ninth floor, conference room C, I had a view. I sat there and, like, did this and worked. He, he I forget even what he did for a living, but his company was paying for him. And there was no need to sit in one of those tiny cubes because it was open. 
And so I literally, that's where I spent a whole year was floor nine. And then I think we moved up to 11 because nine started getting a little bit more crowded, but it was awesome. Yeah. So I always have a place in my heart now for Colony Square. I parked in the street oh. for free, never got a ticket. That's where oh. I like survived from like, like April 2020 to April 2021. I'd low-key wish some developer in Atlanta would do this, and I know, or some property manager would do this. I know they don't have the heart to do it. Let's start converting these into like mixed-use buildings because so much Atlanta office market is kind of like now hybrid that you go from places like Midtown that had like 80, 90% occupancy to like 40. Like, just pull that trigger, man. Like, just, well, the next office I had was yeah. downtown, was 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 235 Peachtree, and that just got bought. And I don't know what they're going to do with it, but... I'm interested in that one, too. That's a good building. So... I'd be interested. Okay, you've been in all the buildings now. It seems like yeah, all the good I've, ones. yeah, I've 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 bounced around. This, by the way, this is the best. I say this all the time to people. I've been to pretty much every co-working thing. Either I actually worked there or I took a tour, and this place has the possibility of being the best. Like right now, it's awesome, mm-hmm. but it's interesting. You're coming here today. It's like 40 degrees outside. You can't sit out there, right? Yeah, and you. Can't pay. You can't sit in here unless you pay more money, which I do. Mm-hmm. But if you just pay the thirty dollars a month just to chill out there, you're not fucking sitting there today. She's yeah. freezing her ass off right there. She's got a hat on, right? Yeah. So they got to figure that out. <laughs> oh, they got to get some lamps going. Some really. <laughs> but it's got to be more than lamps to keep that room that that whatever. But until until the weather dropped, I was like, well, this is the best place to be in the world. Yeah. And I'm fine, but they can be better once they figure out the heating situation. I agree. I think this, oh, we are at Create ATL. Shout out my guy, Puya, um, who founded it. Um, great space if you haven't been on. It's a maker space, which is interesting. So if you are somebody who's into like metalworks, woodworks, and just other things, they also do that here. So it's like a create space for real. Right. So. And I love that. I think it's cool. I've never been to one like that. My question is, if you do that for a living, how are you going to do that in a part-time basis. Usually you have to have your own spot because you have all your tools and shit. Yeah, yeah. So how is that, like we don't have any people yet that have worked there and I don't know how you do attract that. I don't know either. Like that's a good question. I think, I actually do think one thing, you probably get into like the spacing game, like you probably let people just park their stuff here at a certain point in time. Right. I don't know where he has the space to do that at, but like that would be one idea, so. But this place is awesome and I love it and the studio's dope and I love it and Right now, I've been able to hang in here most days. Uh, at some point, I won't be able to. But right now, it's great because I can chill in here almost all day. Yeah, and you have like a little, I don't know what that is behind you. Some little thing. I well, guess. that's a heater. But I'm saying this room right now is oh, fine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. out there, it's not as it's not as oh, no, warm. No. I nap. I nap on this couch. Matt is, okay, so y'all can't see this. But like, <laughs> it really does look like you can't get into the club from over here where Matt is at. Like, what I mean that is... So we're in Creatio just for outside. It's it's three spaces, right? So there's a, a outdoor space that has like a large just kind of pull open thing. And when it's sunny, it's really beautiful. You can kind of hang out on the, the thing. You come inside the building. It's like it's a maker space. So it's a little bit more rugged, a little bit more industrial. It has a co-working vibe. It's cool. Matt is in like this secluded room with a nice leather like fu- leather couch. There's like sound paneling on the wall. Would you call this leather? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Not leather. Uh, velvet couch. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. A velvet couch. Um, he has sound paneling on the wall. It actually has paint in this room. It has like nice artwork. It looks like this man is living like a VIP. He's living like white puff daddy right now. Like he's like really in his, his bag over here. You can see if you can't see it, he's looking so comfortable. He's almost got his leg up. Like he's got his arm out. He's just laying on the chair. This man probably has a Mai Tai coming in five minutes. Like he's just, I don't have a Mai Tai. I do have a bat bat black, black coffee. Right. This man is living a very like chilled out life right here while everybody else is kind of chilling. Like, with the little jitters, he's like, nah, I'm good. Are you are you a Puff Daddy guy? Like, what do you mean? Like, are you more of a Jay-Z guy? 
as a rapper, like everybody knows Puff doesn't rap well. As a everything, not as a rapper. Okay, I I no question Jay over Puff that for the rapping. No question. Okay, as I say, like ooh. Um, as a as an entrepreneur, businessman, like wealth maker. I have a hot take. I think Puff is actually a better businessman than Jay. Okay. Um, I like Jay Z. He's one. Of, he's probably my favorite rapper of all time. Um, I think Jay being able to push off title on someone was a great business move. Him selling his Ace of Spades. I think Jay understands what he is, which is he is an aspirational brand. He married another woman who's also an aspirational brand. The one thing aspirational brands are really good at is selling people a lifestyle or aspects of the lifestyle. I think it's Sean John has not done that. I was that's good. I think Puff has actually legitimately made two businesses that made real in the black businesses. Sean John had about a good ten year run where that was an actual viable clothing business before he shut it down. Revolt TV, you may not watch it, but the just to be able to get a business where you have a cable channel, which means you're getting cable fees, right? So Revolt's been on for 10 years. It's a profitable business because he's managed to get it on cable TV, which means you also have ad revenue, which also means he has like the whole Revolt podcast network, which is actually doing pretty well in that space too. Bad Boy Records, we already know what he did with that. Um, and then him, his foray into reality TV with like the making the band shows. Those are all profitable businesses. I actually think he's actually better at making a profitable business versus Jay-Z is like, if Jay-Z was like, I'm going to start getting into coffee, there's a certain number of people who are just going to buy it because Jay-Z's attached to it, not necessarily like the actual business model. Isn't Jay worth more? He is. He sold more. Um, He's worth more. I think just for me, if if it's like just cash on hand, for sure, Jay-Z has the right idea. I'm going to take, no offense, he's a drug dealer from Brooklyn. I'm going to take something, flip it, move on. That's like the modus operandi. I get that. Like, and Puff is like a dude who was trying to get business at a Howard um, in DC, like coming up and you know being like everyone's hype man in New York. Do you watch the the barbershop? Which one? The shop? Yeah, the shop. I like it. I wish the format was a little different. In what way? It's too many people, and sometimes it's too many people, and it should be like an hour instead of like the thirty minutes. So I've been rewatching it, which I didn't think I would do. Mm-hmm. I just the other day I started back on episode one because I forgot who's even on it, but I started watching it, and then I just kind of let it play, you know, mm-hmm. next episode, next episode. So now I'm rewatching it, and yeah, a couple times to me when they have too many people, it says they wanted two episodes, but this is when they were available. So now you got seven people on the couch, kind of thing. Um, but uh, I, I'm just watching the one with Puff and and Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. and. Like Rick's just the fucking man. I was say that seems like a very interesting because Puff is like all over the place and Rick Room is so zen about stuff. Like I would love to be in the room for that one. Rick says Rick is like talking about the greats. They were trying to talk about what makes LeBron different, what makes Tom Brady different because mm-hmm. Gronk is there and and mm-hmm. dudes that play with LeBron, and Kevin Love is there and they're like it's it's up here, it's mm-hmm. up here. Doesn't matter like physical whatever this that the other like the way Tom Brady and LeBron see like it's up here. And then, and then, so then it kind of went into with the industry and how they changed it and how, how Rick and Sean changed it. And Rick is like, you have to not live in reality Yeah. to do those kinds of things. You have to not like, they say it's this, you have to literally not live in reality as a business owner. I know what he means. And it's always this line of the concept of I'm going to like fake it till I make it. And the whole like. And I got mouths to feed. And so for me to sell this to my wife is fucking hard, right? Like, we're going over here. It's going to be awesome, right? I don't know how the fuck we're going to get there, right? And I think a lot of people fail because of that same thing. Do you just see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Because you could be too detached from reality where it's not like healthy. Right. Or you're just a flat out fraud, which we've seen. We scam, scams be happening. But even if you're not a fraud, even if you're trying to do something legit, but this concept of like like the genius of the world, and I would say Sean and Rick Rubin are geniuses. Yeah, uh, Puff is going to love you forever for that. Well, you have to see, to see something that's not there. And hit it. Right. Like in that in that episode, which everybody can go watch now on HBO Max, he's saying like there was no black people working for the late. Like nobody was making a decision. That's like a low-hanging fruit thing too. Like I'm surprised nobody would thought that thought that through. Well, but you have to you have to want that bad enough to happen and think right. that you can. True. Right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like the get like we're going to get to the moon thing, right? Like, how the yeah. fuck are we going to do that? Right. I, I agree with you. I think, you know what it is? I think that's actually like the one of the through lines of this entire conversation, which is the idea of I want to do something, like somebody who's going to take a moonshot idea on doing something, right? Everything from I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to rebuild my life after losing my home, I'm going to move to the West End and do these things, I'm going to be an active community person, I'm going to run a podcast, I'm going to you know, try this coffee I have not tried before, right? Like this idea of I got to do something different because I see something that doesn't exist or I believe that there's something that doesn't exist or a new opportunity. So I think that's probably the through line of this whole conversation so far. And I am not a planner. And that's so what I'm saying that, that that's the only way I know how to do something. Yeah. A friend of mine said that to me once we had lunch and he's making whatever he's making a lot of money. And I had my staffing company at the time, and I was doing okay. But he was like, "Isn't it like scary that you have to wake up every day and make it happen?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And that's like that's what I'm doing. Like I can't I can't not be that way. And so I always say it's not the only way to do it because there are people. But it's your that, way to do it. But there are people that 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 launch a business based on numbers and projections, and, and some mm-hmm. people just go, "You know what? Let's fucking try this." Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of guy that I am. Not because I'm. Even I, you could call it brave, but I really don't know any other way. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that though. I think you know what though. People like yourself are needed in the world because sometimes there's going to be somebody who's going to have a certain level of fear, and they're going to need to see you in your life to kind of have that comfort and like I can do this too, right? And I think that's important. We need a little bit, but you need somebody who's going to be in numbers. You need somebody who's going to be as like planned out as possible. And you need somebody who's like, no, I'm I'm going to wake up today and I'll figure out how I live today, like. Because those people are needed. That's that's pretty much it. Do you plan much? I do. I, okay, I'm gonna be clear. I two halves. I structure. I plan and structure when it's absolutely necessary. Like when I take care of my like my aunt. Like we have a very clear structure because that aspect of life can't. We can't. I can't mess that up. Right. But within that structure, like there's a lot of room to do different things. Right. So medicine time, exercise time. What what do we do in the in between? Do we read? Do we go out and ride a bike together? You know, and all I I I make the most of that, and like I just make most of the free time I have. So when I have free time, I'm like doing stuff like this, or I'm just gonna have random fun. Um, but I'm okay with that. I understand like there's a balance to it, and so for me, I plan when necessary. But when I don't, I like I don't. Like any, all my friends know this. Like, oh, I'm gonna be if it's an event, I'm gonna be late. You know, I'm gonna be late because I'm taking time for myself because I I have a so. <laughs> Because I do, like, the journalism world is, like, a loose, like, fragment. Like, the journalism world is very much, like, like to this morning, right, when I was late, I had an article that was due at noon. For who? The Atlanta Voice. Okay. I have another person text me right now, which I'm looking at my phone, for another potential story after I leave here to do that that will probably be due at 6 p.m., right? I'll get there probably at 1.30 or something like that. 
that's like a real structure. Like after that six PM though, like I'm like I'm not, I'm doing whatever I want. If I want to go eat donuts, if I want to go drink batteries in a blender, I'm doing whatever I can in my time because like the the structured time is very structured. Don't drink batteries in a blender, y'all. But like I'm just saying, like you when know, you think about that, when you set out to make your doc, did you say I'm going to shoot for six months and get what I get? Oh, Was gosh. there any plan? Uh, no, and I wish I would have had a plan. But you're also young. Yeah, so I did it in phases. Um, and so now I'm for officially. So, hey, everyone, the Atlanta Way is a documentary that most people know me on. It's a documentary on gentrification in Atlanta. It's something that I actually started right before I went for Spike Lee. And I off the, over the years, I released like different pieces of it, different shorts, and I never finished it. So um, I'm happy to say that next year it will be out. It is a documentary film, but it is a very long documentary film, which may be transitioning into a mini, like a mini streaming. So how series. long do you see it going? Uh, right now, it's a three-hour film, or it will be a eight-part like mini short. Why not six I'm or thinking, five? Because most documentary pieces, we all know, it's like it was six. It should have been four. And that's what I'm thinking about too. Because in my mind, I'm like, in my heart of hearts, I think it actually is six, like a solid six. But right now, I have it planned out for eight. But much the much like we were talking about the the apps, the platforms are the same way. The reason it's eight and not six is because they want you on that platform. Right. So if you, when you go sell it, they're going to probably dictate that to you. Do you have people to help you like show it to Amazon, Netflix, all the rest? Okay. So both parts on the part of showing it to the, the companies. No, not for that. But on the other end about like the actual like dictation of a company, um, of the, your content, I, and watching my cousin, who actually has a document of his own that he's working on, I cannot say what it's about, but I see it in real time. He actually shot a documentary. He paid he paid a crew to do it. It was a documentary film. The company that may be purchasing his film was like, "Hey, can you come back and make this a three episode series?" Was not planned. And so watching that negotiation happen out in real time as like we're speaking on this is like very interesting. So because they they need more people, but I mean he shot it like you see it's like okay this is a contained story. It, it probably needs to be three hours. You watch it like, but now. The company that he may sell it to is like, now we really want three hour long episodes. Well, and again, it's about consumer behavior. Yeah. Somebody sits down. What did I say about YouTube? They look and they see that it says three hours. Fuck that. I'm not watching this. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's three parts. Cool. I'll start tonight. When we all know, by the way, podcasting is the same way. I don't believe in three hour podcasts. Some people do. Joe Rogan does it. Some people do. There's always, there's always some exceptions, but most folks want to have 45 minutes to an hour, even though. They can pause and finish later, mm-hmm. and certainly nowadays with streaming, you could pause a three-hour movie, yeah. but they are probably less likely to click than if it says two hours or an hour and 90 minutes, yeah. hour 30 minutes. This is true. Like, and, and, and this, like you said, it's a weird consumer behavior that we're kind of in. Um, how this works at Atlanta Way is I think realistically it's probably going to get cut slower. I mean, to like a short amount of episodes, I think that's fine. I'm not, I'm not against that. Like, it doesn't bother me. Um, but I am excited to say that right now we start in November with the actual shooting. We've been doing prep work right now. Um, I'm working with two, three people, one of which is a guy named Nolan Hubert Rhodes. He is a local cinematographer here, a local video director, another guy, James Hammond of Icon Filmworks, uh, who does a lot of like video production work and using their two companies, plus um, some people I, I knew through my dad to help with the audio end of it is really getting it going. So we start in November, hopefully we'll be done in like late January, early February, and I'm excited just to be on that, that path again about it. Um, it's not as planned out as I would like it to be because I learned just through other documentaries. Like I work on the East Lake Meadows documentary that was on PBS two years ago as an associate producer on that. You want to plan it with a semi-structure, meaning that, hey, you're going to interview somebody for two hours. 
that might be 90 minutes or sometimes that two hours is now six hours and now you have to kind of consider the footage on that one so i'm playing it with just like a slight amount of like structure to it just because um just how it is and i'm putting most of my planning on the post-production in because i've learned so much in the last few years that like i'd rather put the planning in in where it really after we've done the work like like the hardest was there because i haven't seen it like i saw part of it was there an ending when you shot it that many years ago and now you're kind of like retelling the story? So or? that's a good question. There was never an ending. Um, <laughs> and I had shot, I did a bunch of like, we had always did a bunch of shorts, a bunch of like web stuff. And I was thinking about the wrong things at the time, which was like, let's make a bunch of content for marketing, right? To get people hyped up and like not finishing the film. So all the people I had on it, they were really cutting trailers, cutting shorts, doing a bunch of interviews that weren't necessarily necessary and not collecting the right ones. So this time around, like because then I can raise money against that. Yeah, because you can raise money, you get awareness, but like you're not really addressing the film. So I interviewed a bunch of people, and like a lot of those stories didn't necessarily connect right. And then you don't have an ending, right? Because you have interviews, but not an ending, right? You need footage, you need photos, you need other stuff to produce an ending. And now I just have a series of like interviews and like small clips. And I'll but like, now it's ten years later, right? Yeah. So is- you can update the story. Yeah, so I'm going to update the story. That's like part of it, too, which is like, let's tell the whole story of gentrification in Atlanta. Well, and they just, so when you, you when you're, when you filmed that, it was, Atlanta's going to be the first city that intentionally it. shuts it all down. And now we finally lost the last one, right? Didn't they just close down the last one? What's it called? Well, okay, so that's a good question. Forest Cove is not actually a public housing project. What it is, is it had people who had Section 8 at Forest Cove. And the reason being is if you're a housing authority, you have a whole different set of rules that you got to adhere to when you have it versus like just if you rent it out to like 700 people who have low income apartments, which is what most of Atlanta is now. And like low income apartments are usually people with housing vouchers. They just go there and like the landlords don't care. They just take there's no requirement versus like a housing authority. So we we really got rid of our public housing projects like in the 2011 and the last few years have just been private people who just been taking that the housing vouchers and and like screwing the people out of what they thought they were going to get, which is like a chance at a stable middle-class neighborhood and like moving up and stuff like that. So where so, do they go? In the case of Forest Cove, um, they're like relocated to different parts of the city. Andre Dickens and his main guy, Courtney English had to really guide those people. Okay. They need to go to like a more safe and equitable. Community. So they literally found the places to live. Yeah. And I will say the mayor Dickens actually, and that's again, that's like that small, we talked about small thing. That's not going to be on the news at all. But like his administration was like every single person in Forest Cove, cause they were about to get put on the street. We're going to find funds and we're going to relocate you ourselves. That actually happened. That is a small, small thing. Nobody really cares except for those people, like those hundred or so families in Forest Cove who got relocated by the mayor and his staff. Very small thing. No one cares. He is an affordable housing mayor, which kind of puts him at odds with some other things. But that's a real thing that really happened. Now, the actual property where it sits at right now, though, that private company is going to decide what they want to do with it next, right? They could easily rent that out as another slum slum thing to new people if they want to. They can tear it down. They can sell it. And so... That's kind of where we are on that one. Um, and that's something I do want to talk about. I do want to do a documentary, but that's like a whole separate story with Forest Cove. But I do think it's kind of indicative of like where poor people are in Atlanta. So, All right. So I think you and I could talk a very long time. I think we did, actually. Is this going to be a part one and two? It, well, makes... I was just funny. I was just thinking that because I was just talking about it. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the uh, – we'll see what happens. But I think uh, uh, we should uh, roll over to the Atlanta Favorites quiz. Yes. There are no wrong answers. The, Yes, there are wrong answers in life. So I want to hear this quiz, though. I want to see it. I want to hear it. What is your go-to order at Waffle House? Oh, uh, I'm very basic when I go to Waffle House. 
Double waffle, double scrambled eggs. Okay. What is your current favorite place to eat in Atlanta? Hmm. Delia's Chicken Sausage Shack. I like it because it's consistent. It's a locally started, I, I almost it's going to be a borderline franchise. And I like it because it's always somebody new who's never had it before. I fucking love Delia's. It was my morning breakfast spot for uh, years. If I had a meeting with you, mm-hmm. meet me at Delia's. Yeah. I uh, haven't been in a while now that I think about it. I should go there again. Yeah. Um, and I interviewed her. Uh, oh, that's cool. She was awesome. She's fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, Delia Champion. Go back and listen, people. Uh, I should have her on again because I think they had just opened that West Side one, and now that West Side one is gone. It like didn't make it out of the pandemic kind of a thing. Yeah, they said the Moreland one, which is like going. No, that's the one that I've yeah, always yeah. gone to. Okay, yeah. That's what I've always gone to. Um, Publix or Kroger? Yeah, I'll know. yeah, I heard at the beginning of the episode how I felt about Kroger. Uh, I think, okay, Publix is consistent. It's nice. That's something you take your wife to, right? When you're just like, I'm going to just eat out Doritos out the bag, I'm going to Kroger. Like, take you know, my I, wife too. When I don't have to explain who I am or what I'm eating, my eating choice, I'm going to Kroger. Okay. I take Marta blank. Because I want to. <laughs> because I want to. <laughs> no one has ever said that. So They always answer know. where they go with it, which is never... The airport or games, like that's what people usually I think for say. Most people say, but like for me, I actually like to. Uh, I'm really good about like vibe checks, so I like to actually see what the everyday person is like experiencing. So I'll get on like my local east side buses. I get on some trains sometimes, like ride up and down like north, south, east, west, just to see what the temperature is like of people. So that is a very unique answer. Um, outcast or goodie mob. Outcast, like I'm wearing an Outcast sweater right now. I know you are, but I still had to ask. Like it's not even a a competition here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very people are very torn on that one, though. They can be torn, but there's only one right answer. (laughs) It's fine. I just told you there's no wrong answers. Okay, that's fine. Like Goody Mob is actually great. Nothing against that, but like Outcast is a different different category. Uh, Rank the Atlanta sports teams in importance to you. Oh God, now this is a good question. Hmm. To me personally, I'm gonna say. To me personally, just like over okay, personal or overall, it's like no, to, no, no, like you're gonna rank them. Like these are your rankings of the Atlanta sports teams. Okay, so I'm gonna say personally, personally first. I'm gonna go with personal ones. I'm, I'm a Georgia State fan, so Georgia State about they're still still coming along. It's good. It's like watching your kid grow up. So I think I'm always picking Georgia State as my, my most important to me in terms of actual importance. This is going to sound strange. The University of Georgia Bulldogs football team is actually number one in Metro Atlanta. I know everyone is going to be mad at me for saying that. Not Georgia fans. Yeah. I think the Braves are number two for Metro Atlanta. Yes, they live in Cobb. We I'm get talking that. about you. What do they rank them for you? Like I just said, like, if you want to, you know what I mean? Like if I said, what are your favorite movies? What are your favorite band? Like you got you got to rank them for okay. you. So from my personal thing, Georgia State, again, number one across all sports. Um, they actually have a really good girls volleyball team. So good luck on the, this upcoming season. Good luck on their baseball team. Um, football team is doing all right um for me the hawks at number two i think i've had just better experiences at hawks games i've been to a lot of my brother plays in the hawks drum line for them so i enjoy the hawks um number three i don't i've only been to one of their games but i really enjoyed it It was atlanta united like i enjoyed that so much i really want to go do another one soon um i think it's better than the falcons experience like i've been to i I think the Falcons probably have the worst experience. I, I put them in like number 10 of Atlanta sports. Wow. And again, if somebody's had a good Falcons experience, let me know because I would like to go when you guys go. But I've never had a great experience at a Falcons game. Um, so I'm just like, I'm waiting on, I'd say one. I think it was like the last year Michael Vick played in Atlanta. And I think they played, they beat Pittsburgh. 
I think my godfather gave me his nosebleed tickets, and we saw the game at the dome. But like that was probably. I, it. I dude, I love the dome. I had season tickets for a couple of years. I haven't been. Yeah. To the, I haven't been to Mercedes Benz for a football game yet. It's different. It, it 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 has a weird kind of sterileness too for a football game. That's like surprising. So uh, again, if somebody knows, I mean, like tailgate all. If somebody has had a better Falcon experience, let me know because I would love to go and see it. So I commented on. Uh, video that my man Newface put out the other day about this the interview with um, oh fuck I can't remember who it was uh, but um, the guy said can I be an ATLian because they were asking what is an ATLian we don't ask you don't ask for permission dog ask for forgiveness what do you mean can I be an ATLian that's what he 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 asked what is an ATLian okay. and then he said can I be one and he said yeah if you stay here you are right mm-hmm. and so I commented that I agree and that that's what Atlanta is. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't believe in the we full mentality. Like that's a t-shirt now. The urbanist in, my, in me is like, there's, there's so much wrong with that statement, but keep going. So I will not buy your t-shirts, Grady baby. Sorry. Cool co- cool company name, but you put out we full shirts and I don't believe in that. And what I said was, because I experienced this myself when I first moved back mm-hmm. to Georgia in 2009 and I went to a Falcons game, mm-hmm. right? And I'm walking around passing the tailgate people and uh, we just, I just got like close. To, I didn't even get that close. And they were like, you want some? Oh. Right? Yeah. So I put like, if, you, if you're if you cool, we're cool with you. Mm. Come hang with us. And I've experienced that. We could get into a whole long conversation that we'll save for the next time that my kid was in sports leagues on the east side and on the west side. And mm. I was much more welcomed on the west side. Oh, yeah. The west side is going to treat you better. When we were the only white kid, not just on the team, but in the fucking league. Well, black people in general like are more accommodating like in general. But, I, but I'm saying that's ATL to me. Yeah. Like, cool. You want a you wing? Awesome. Cool. As long as you're cool, we're cool. Yeah. So that was my that was my quick side note on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the best festival in Atlanta? Ooh, okay. I'm gonna say a lame one, but Decatur Book Festival. <laughs> I don't care if it's lame. I enjoy it. I love. I've books. been to it. My kids yes, were little. I like, went to it once. Lame. I would actually say Loki, the good one for no matter where you are. If you just want to chill out, a house in a park is probably like the next one for me for those two well you are definitely giving me unique answers no one has said decatur book festival yet that's a that's yeah it's like I'm, listen i'm gonna be with the mathletes if i would i would have wore a mathlete sweater here today like i definitely was close to doing that got so. it uh what is the best concert you've ever seen in atlanta i hate saying this well first my parents have a jazz uh, organization called jazz matters and i've seen a lot of great the actual best show i've seen in atlanta was Teresa hightower she just, she's died now she had cancer it was one of her last shows in Atlanta at a jazz festival at the Rens Nest. That was one of them. The other one is this person's, I'm going to get canceled for saying this, but fuck it. It was Kanye West, 2004, right when the college dropped out. It was in July. The album was out maybe at that point only like five months. He was still a relatively up, upcoming artist. Like the album came out, it was still successful, but like the way that crowd like interacted with him and the way he interacted with that crowd was like one of the best like performances I've seen him ever probably give like in terms of not like theatrics but like actual call and response being with the crowd bringing energy bringing special guests that was one of the best ones and it's sad to see where he is now his where his do life. you think he peaked 2010 so what album the dark twisted fantasy so I think creatively that's kind of because that plus the Good Fridays and some of like the runaway video and the delivery he's never really passed it um, so that's just me I, I don't think he's he's had obviously more success since then but it is like i think that's his peak okay uh and the final question is who should i have next on the atl podcast mm. hmm. <laughs> i'm trying to think who 
But your podcast guests are always kind of like eclectic. I'm trying to think who's like exciting. No, I will say this. This is actually who you should have. I don't know if this will happen. And I'm not even endorsing this. I think you should find the girl who runs the ATL Scoop account. Even though I don't personally agree with how the account operates, I think that is probably the most interesting person. Is she like anonymous? Yes. That's part of it too. So like, she then she's gets, not going to come on. I can't even get the fucking Atlanta Beltline hates you girl to come on. Uh, well, she she's been on people's stuff before, so right. But she won't come on mine now. She's like, I don't. And okay. I've been talking to her since she had like a thousand followers. I'm like, you're fucking hilarious. Uh-huh. We DM back and forth. I'm like, you're killing me with this shit. And like, let's have you on. Let's have you on. She's like, I got a day job. I don't know when. Blah blah blah. We're gonna do it on a weekend. And now she's like, fuck it. She's like, yeah, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah. Okay. I would say now I think I got like a list of people. I think Monica Campana of Living Walls. Um, I know she might be a little bit mad at me, which she she should be. Hopefully I get back in get back in the house with her. But Monica Campana of Living Walls, Yemi Cambrone, um, an artist here in Atlanta. She has a really interesting life, and I think it's worth kind of talking about. Um, you know, mm, you've done Magic. So I listened to the Magic City episode. I did listen to that one. Um, trying to think who would really be interesting. There's another guy right now. He's actively working in political space. This guy named Chris Bruce. Uh, he works for the ACLU of Georgia. He's a political dude, but I think there's a whole other side of him that's worth talking to because you can talk to him about politics, but you can talk to him about other things like marijuana in Georgia, like stuff that you would never have thought about. Like, right. And that's not like political and quotation marks, but stuff like, oh, let's do that. I think those three might be some of the best ones to think about. Um, oh, my guys from Portrait Coffee. Okay. It's three of them. They're on the the west the west end. Actually, they're going to be opening up in January. Their shop. We uh, need a good coffee shop in the west. End. I love these guys, but we we need more. I think you should because the other thing is no one. It's like like finding like Kendrick Lamar in 2010. Like they're going to be out of here real soon, and like nobody really interviews them. So I think you should interview Portrait Coffee. All three of them. It's three dudes. They started a Kickstarter two years ago and now they're in the west end building a brick and mortar store and brewing their own beer. all right so let's tell people uh where to find you all things king williams uh yeah so you can reach out to me at i am king williams on instagram and twitter that's where i'm most active at and my newsletter is i am king williams dot substack s-u-b-s-t-a-c-k.com so again i am king williams dot substack.com you can read my words coming up in canopy atlanta atlanta magazine the atlanta voice Something else with Atlanta, I'm pretty sure. So just, I'll be out here. I'm sorry, I got the the doggone sparkles now from this little canned drink we have. All right, man, thanks for coming out. Uh, Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Go follow King on his accounts right now. Uh, He's listing uh, some top coffee shops in Atlanta. He covers all things, as you know. Uh, Hopefully you learned a lot about him. And uh, please do go follow all of his accounts. Thank you again, King, for coming on. And we will bring you new episodes here every bloody Friday. Love you. Miss you. Mean it. I've got to run. Take care, ETL.